0: welcome back to the armchair f1 podcast for the start of our second series and like all good second series we've got a lot to build on from our first time around this time not only are we actually starting in march at the start of the season but we're going to be bringing you everything from throughout the season all of the races all of the latest news new weekly episodes i'm a newly revitalized man this season lots of to look forward to starting off with the bahrain grand prix this weekend and of course a big year as well formula one new regulations new changes new drivers it's going to be an exciting season all of it covered here on the armchair f1 podcast welcome back to the armchair f1 podcast it's a leap into the unknown here in 2022 qualifying Gets underway today as we release the first episode of this second series. And what a year we have ahead of us, as I mentioned. Of course, after all of the drama, the controversy, the many tears that I shed at the end of 2021, Formula One is back in 2022 and it is a big year indeed. Will we see Max Verstappen retain his title? we get a second title in the Red Bull, potentially start a new era of dominance at the top of him formula one will we see lewis hamilton back after the disappointment and it's fair to say the anger of losing out on that eighth world championship in abu dhabi will we see him get it back this year well with michael massey not running the f1 race director's box now maybe so will we see a resurgence from ferrari this season they've looked good in testing charles Leclerc always talked of a future world champion carlos Sainz, a very promising driver Will this be the year for them? Will George Russell, new teammate to Lewis Hamilton, will he start to live up to that promise, potentially mount a championship bid and put the feet to the fire of Lewis Hamilton? Will we see McLaren come back towards the front, this multi-year project that they've been working on, start to see the real, really the dividends of that payoff? And will we see Haas score a point this season? Well, much to look forward to indeed 2022 is going to be a big year for formula one with 22 races across the world between now and the 20th of november very exciting indeed going across multiple continents we've got as well some really exciting returns as well this season of course we're going back to canada to singapore to suzuka much to enjoy there. We've also got the return of the new Albert Park Grand Prix circuit in a few weeks as well. Plus, as ever, our old favourite, Silverstone in mid-July. Spa, where hopefully this year we won't get, well, we w- no, I say hopefully we won't. We won't get a race that's rained off, and hopefully we'll get more than two laps of racing. And by racing, actually green flag racing. But that... We can all look forward to later on in the season as ever with the armchair F1 podcast, follow us across social media at armchair F1 pod. Keep up to date with everything we're doing this season. We're going to be bringing you weekly content between now and mid November. So there's much to enjoy there indeed. Well, as ever, we have a fantastic range of people to come and talk about the start of the new season here on the podcast today. So let's bring them in. Welcome in, then let them, really work out what they're looking forward to most in 2022 so let's bring in firstly a very very familiar voice here on the podcast the first guest we had on us Rory Norris joins us Rory welcome to the
1: podcast today Good morning. It's great to be back. Uh, the uh, dawn of a new F one season is beckoning. I think we're all finally over the hangover from uh, last year's Abu Dhabi debacle. I'm not. We say. I- I'm still not. I still think you're losing light to sleep over it, man. <laughs> and uh, that's that's something that I don't think is going to change for a while. But yeah, it's it, it's really going to be an exciting one. I'm very much looking forward to it. I think you know, 90 days without F one is 90 days too many, and it's going to be great to get back going. I think if if we're looking for something that I'm most excited about, I think mainly looking beyond my uh, my love of the pink cars the first two rounds of the season is going to be the best best two rounds for me the return of the year, the pink bwt new alpine uh overall i think i'm just excited for a bit of a shake-up i think we've had a a very marked status quo for the past sort of five six years in f1 uh arguably finally coming to an end last year i think this year with new regulations new cars new driver matchups i think we're going to be seeing something truly unexpected and that's what i'm looking forward to the most i think the best bit is no one can predict What's going to happen this year? Even though we've seen
0: testing and we've got a, a vague idea, I don't think people can know exactly what they're looking for this year. That's also, I think, is making it so exciting. Um, Joe Spanioli as well joining us today. Um, certainly a lot of unpredictabilities. And there, of course, if there is someone who will like to predict the unpredictable, Joe is the man for that. And we'll get to enjoy that later on. But Joe, how have you been doing? What are you looking forward to most this year? You say unpredictable
2: predictions, but the most uh, characteristically unpredictable thing is that I had not made these unpredictable <laughs> predictions before the start of the stream, and I'm currently improvising them as we speak. Um, the thing I'm looking forward to most this year, Cam, the return of the greatest Formula One track of all time, Suzuka, to our calendars. Oh, yes. Two years without Suzuka is a lifetime too many. Um, I adore that track, and even though I'm not overly
0: sold on these new cars, can't wait to go back to the prefecture. Mm. And we didn't even get the chance to um, make up with Fuji in the two years around that as well, which I think is just the the ultimate bitter sadness about that. But, you know, hopefully, I say, obviously, we haven't really been to Asia a lot with coronavirus recently and, and the nature of the restrictions. So it's nice, hopefully, seeing all of these ease going back to some of these classic tracks. I can't wait for it. Indeed. Well, Josh joins us for the first time on the podcast. Josh, welcome. Hello, sorry about that. Um,
3: yeah, good to be here for the first time. Heard, heard a lot of good things. And yeah, un- unlike Joe, who's improvising, I have decided to just make it up when the question's asked. So I'm going to give myself like
0: <laughs> an even shorter time span to sort of come up with answers. The peak of organization of former heads of sport and raw sport members is ever showing itself off to be the truest quality that we have here on this podcast. Um, Josh, is there anything you're looking forward to most? this year we've heard of course the return of the pink bwt cars from rory the classic tracks coming back to the calendar this year anything you're particularly looking forward to i think it's just the unknown really i think it's just the unknown because we've
3: sort of f1 not that it's become predictable but there's sort of been a known quantity about every single team and now it's sort of i i thrive on chaos chaos <laughs> is the, the fact that it's now all up in the air again and suddenly all right the top three have sort of Maybe differentiated themselves, but after that, it's a bit of a chaos zone of sort of we don't even know on their on their best day who's going to turn up. So it's yeah, I think it's not knowing what's going to happen is probably the thing that excites me the most.
0: I think it's fair to say we can quite easily redefine 2022 as the year of the chaos merchants, maybe, and that is that's something I'm looking forward to. Well, finally joining us today, Dylan McKee joined us last time out when we were fixing the calendar. He's back for the start of the 2022 season. Dylan, great to have you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be
4: back. Looking forward to a new season getting underway. And I oh, definitely echoing what Rory says. It's been too long, been too long. It was a pleasure to watch.
0: Watch some. I've cars. missed it as well. And of course, we've started watching Drive to Survive last week, looking back at 2021. We'll get round to that later. There will be a Drive to Survive review at some point in the next few weeks. And there will be a lot of moaning about me, about one particular person's role in the show and uh, to spoiler it's not a driver it's not even someone who's part of a team you'll see what i mean later but dylan um drive to survive of course did you think that summed up 2021 from what you've seen so far in the way that it needed to
4: no i don't think it was very representative (laughs) of how the 2021 season actually went but um i think there's i don't know there's it it plays a role, right? The the Netflix mm. series plays a role, but we we're here for what we really want to discuss. You know, it's the actual F one, it's the cars on track, not the dramatization that comes afterwards.
0: Indeed, and what about twenty twenty two? Apart from Netflix ruining another year of Drive to Survive, are you looking that forward? Oh, to I guess
4: you could say this is kind of related, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a happy Gunther Steiner.
0: <laughs> this could be the year. I think it you could. Gun- 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 gunther has been. I- Although, when you make such a career out of being a bit moody, I feel like... I feel it's like it's become part of his persona So we've got one year of Happy Gunter, but I, I've i gone to love Moody Gunter. So maybe... I don't know. If Has to do as well as they, maybe I think they could do this year, I, I might not like it so much. Maybe we just need Has to be lingering at the bottom, where they belong, bottom feeding. It's great t- TV content. It's great Netflix content as well. Well plenty of course we'll be discussing over the podcast today we're looking back at testing some of our key predictions and stories as well for 2022 and looking ahead to the Bahrain Grand Prix as well so much to look forward to stick around drop us a follow on social media this is the Armchair F1 podcast. Testing times at the start of a new era of Formula One not only um, I mean that it's a very you know testing time for the teams to be getting going, getting new set of regulations, mastering these. But also they've been having some testing times and some times testing over the last few weeks, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about now. Um, we've seen perhaps testing the opportunity to get a sense of the new pecking order, and we kind of finished twenty twenty one with everyone going genuinely. What is the new order? How are we going to get a sense? of what 2022 is going to look like. Well, we've got a bit of an idea, perhaps, after testing. There's a sense that two teams, Ferrari and Red Bull, are out front. Mercedes, a bit behind, sandbagging, potentially. McLaren, potentially in trouble from their end as well. Just going down the grid as well, potentially a resurgent Haas team as well, who, of course, put no investment whatsoever in into their 2021 cars to see that pay dividends this year. There may be some of the big talking points as well as as the combustibility of many cars as well, which we'll come on to. But, Joe, let's start off with you, I think, to get going on this. Um, Testing so far, do you think we've got a sense of the order, at least for the first few races, from testing? Or do you think there's more that we're going to need to see when we come to Bahrain? I don't envy any of these F1 journalists who are expected to produce pecking orders,
2: it seems, twice a week because mine keeps changing every 24 hours or so. Um, just a quick correction, we didn't actually have a test at Barcelona. We had a pre-season shakedown. It's very important, did, for the purposes, yes. <laughs> very important for the purposes of FOM that we distinguish between the two things, which were not in any way identical. Um, but to be honest, I, I, aside from the midfield and back looking a lot closer, at least in theory, um, and if the Williams stops catching fire, at least, I would say th- the stars of testing, and we'll probably get onto it, that the basic answer is both Red Bull and Ferrari. What Red Bull seemed to have in pace, Ferrari did what looked like a very Mercedes-y test in the sense that all they were doing was just getting mileage, getting laps together. And yeah, the Ferrari, for the first time in a long time, looks like it may well be the most reliable power unit of the lot, which, considering it's made by Italians, is very impressive. <laughs>
0: You know, in this in this new world we find ourselves, and maybe it, Italian reliability is going to become the new um, the new way forward, and German flamboyance maybe a maybe a future calling point or something. Well, Rory, um, sticking with that, let's start off with let's stick with Ferrari for a bit, um, because Ferrari have had a difficult couple of years. In fact, you can pro- easily go back and say a difficult three years, really, if you count twenty nineteen. The fact that they were the fastest car over testing. And maybe that's a health warning here. Ferrari seemed to have the fastest car after testing. Mercedes obliterated them in Melbourne. 2020 and 2021, the cars were, well, 2020, the car was terrible. 2021, the car was better, but not quite at the front of the field. You look at that Ferrari at the moment, and as Joe said, it was consistency. It was mileage. It was reliability. The car still looked very quick as well. Do you think, maybe thinking more ahead at race trim in particular, Ferrari maybe have the strongest package this year?
1: Well, I think on the face of it, looking at testing, I think that would be the most, the most logical conclusion. But the thing is, I, I always try and take these things with a little bit of a pinch of salt because with the way that technology is developed and the way that especially simulation data is being used in F1 these days, I think that when we're seeing on-track testing, we're very much seeing what the team sort of wants us to see. And, and I know we all know the the famous Mercedes political machine, which is insistent on their car being the worst of all cars on the grid. I saw George Russell yesterday say that even the Alfa Romeo were quicker than them, which I don't Which really... I, I smell a lot of BS there. I, and the thing is... And there's going to be a a theme for me this season is my continuing frustration with the F1 Reddit, who have now turned on George Russell completely. (laughs) My golden boy from last season and the season before, they've completely turned against them for this political machine, which for some reason is apparently a new thing and just for George Russell, but I don't understand that. I mean, I think that looking at Ferrari's results from testing, they're they're clearly, and as you say, the power unit doing absolute bits, being very reliable. I think they're clearly the, the ones to watch right now, but you can never count out Mercedes that much. I think the fact that we're, we're seeing them, again, in a bit of a slump, they're kind of out on an island themselves behind Ferrari and behind Red Bull, out in third, possibly. I mean, we've had allegations of sandbagging before. I think I remember last year in testing, we were all having the exact same debate. You know, Is our Mercedes going to be knocked off this year? Are they going to be not as quick as they were in previous years? But I think it's going to be a very interesting to see how it pans out and see what happens when there's actually points to play for of course perhaps the difference last
0: year compared to previous years That mercedes to an extent were knocked off their perch sure still constructors champions but much closer than i think anyone was expecting and with the new regs as well mercedes the common belief mercedes stopped developing their car midway through 2021 red bull went a lot later into the season and of course that helped verstappen win his first driver's title didn't know if you look at this i mean we've See, maybe just focusing on Mercedes and Red Bull a bit here, because they were obviously the two cars that went for the championship fight later on in the season. And there was a feeling that this could have held them back. But many people were saying if any team was going to get held back, it was Red Bull because they were developing later. It seems, though, that it's been the other way around. So do you think that this is, as we've been saying, just Mercedes sandbagging a little bit, that they're going to get back, that it will just inevitably happen? Or do you think that maybe Mercedes have run into some genuine troubles here and Red Bull have got a package and done something that just works?
4: I think we maybe will see a slow out of the gate Mercedes this year. I think they've got the sort of, I don't know, you can't have the resources and the sort of intellectual power behind a F1 team like Mercedes and not get somewhere near the front towards the end of a season. But I think it might take some time. Uh, The most interesting comment I saw in testing was, again, Gunter Steiner. I I don't know why I'm bringing him up again, but he said, I tested the Mercedes concept in the wind tunnel midway through last season, and it didn't work for us. There wasn't long-term potential in it. I thought that was very interesting, but I don't know if that's something to look into too much because I I think I do trust the Mercedes guys to unlock the potential in that package, but I think it'll take them a bit longer and they'll be playing catch up for a bit
0: well how long do mercedes have josh because obviously a lot of people will be if mercedes aren't challenging for a title this year a lot of people automatically say this is an instant failure from mercedes just because of the high standards we've come to expect from them in the last few years i mean how long do you think mercedes will have to try and perfect this package if it is as as bad and when we say as bad as people are saying it is we're talking about the third or fourth fastest car on the grid here, really. How long do you think they'll have? Or do you think there's going to be a time? Because I think have, there may be a time, maybe around June, July, that if Mercedes can't get that car sorted, then they'll have to turn everything to 2023. So if they don't fix the car, is this season a bit of a write-off for them?
3: Um, I think they'll have, yeah. Well, roughly where you sort of suggested June, July, because obviously, you know, we're going to different sort of types of tracks throughout the start of the season you mean Bahrain hmm. it's very different to Melbourne which is going to be very different to uh, Miami for instance like we're going to have different tracks for them to sort of work out where exactly they need to make gains in um, I I think they, they will you know be able to make, make strides and sort of close that gap obviously they, they managed to they were on the back foot last year uh, for the first part of it before sort of then coming back before then Red Bull obviously coming back again um, it just yeah for me it, it, it's you know it sort of depends on how well how much how many gains the other teams around them can make to sort of keep them at arm's length so sort of like have we seen I, I sort of wonder whether not not that I mean I, I I assume Ferrari will get better, but I wonder if this is sort of the peak as in how m- how much faster they're going to be ahead of Mercedes and whether Mercedes gains will that sort of outstrip Ferrari's gains. Um, so, but I still yeah I reckon mid-season I think they'll still have a shot. I wouldn't sort of write them off until maybe. Oh goodness, this is going to test my uh test me a bit uh so, I, well I mean i've learned not to write things off to be honest in sport as well so i don't you know i i i would i would give it till mid-season before sort of coming to, to sort of
0: an educated um conclusion about it well let's move on to some other stories from testing and perhaps one team that have been i'd say one of the bigger disappointments from testing shall we say mclaren um now mclaren we know are having brake cooling issues throughout testing but Certainly a sense the cars were off the pace, that these issues were affecting them and coming into Bahrain this weekend. It seems that within the week between the test and the race, they've not had a lot of time to fix that. And certainly in free practice, McLaren did look off the pace. Rory, how concerned should McLaren be at the moment? They put a lot of hopes on this season. They were really bigging up their progress going into 2022. But this looks like it could be a major issue for them
1: it certainly does and they certainly weren't looking anywhere towards their their pace that they had at points last season especially in the first half uh, you know they were arguably the best of the rest from mercedes and red bull uh, we had lando norris picking up some amazing amazing results during that half of the year daniel ricardo obviously slightly lagging behind was most of our picks for the most disappointing driver of the year and i'd say their hopes this year do kind of depend on him maybe finally getting the hang of that car um I will. I will say it is one of the more colourful cars on the grid now. Now with the uh, Google Chrome sponsorship, I'm very happy with that. Uh, the the rims, you know, we've got a lot of colourful stuff going on. It just depends if they can make the car to match the livery. Now, I think they're going to have to, you know, in in testing again with a pinch of salt. If we're thinking about what they were, what they want us to see, if they had any sort of big developments, would they really be showing it? I mean, it, it just depends on how they do how they're going to do in the grid on on Saturday and on Sunday. I mean, I think it would be a real shame. Considering they've just locked Lando Norris down to a very big contract as well, it would be a shame if they did start to show regression from last year. Uh, they were sort of one of the teams to watch, and with that Mercedes power unit in as well, obviously we can't bet too too hard against them. But certainly some cause for some concern. I, I wouldn't, you know, say that we're I wouldn't go too far and say they're going to be sort of down the pecking order too much. But again, it is something to watch out for. Okay, Dylan. Anything else on that? Are McLaren in a pretty
0: bad rut at the moment? I don't think so. The you know the the lights haven't gone
4: out yet. I think it's too early to say. I think there is a genuine issue with the brake the brakes overheating, and there is a three D printed part on there that this weekend. Whether that'll be a just a quick patch for the problem or it'll be a more long term fix, I, I don't know. But I think you've got to look at the heat in Bahrain. We were testing throughout the day. Bahrain's a night race. I think that's definitely a factor that's got to come into this. And I don't think, I think the car looks solid in Barcelona. It was up there with Ferrari and many people were touting them to have a good season before we came to Bahrain. I think there is a problem, but I don't think it's a long-term one. I think they'll get it out of the way. And I don't think they were necessarily aiming to make that jump into the sort of top tier. This year, they haven't finished development on their wind tunnel yet. And I think it's just, I don't know, it's hopefully still going to be on the up. But like you said, there's some small concerns there. But I don't think they're
0: too, um, they're going to mire the season overall. Yeah, I think McLaren I think are in an interesting position right now because I agree. I don't think it's terminal. I, 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 I don't see them necessarily moving forwards. And I think that's the thing that's going to disappoint a lot of McLaren fans. But I don't see them moving back either. And as we've said, it's the kind of issue that can be worked on throughout the season. I guess just one thing is, of course, Daniel Ricciardo and Brakes have a very fun history. So if McLaren don't exactly get their Brakes right, it's not exactly the most optimistic sign for Daniel Ricciardo. But I think that'll be an interesting development to see. Um, moving on, another story now from testing, perhaps. And we'll come on, we'll sort of run through these teams and their lineups more specifically in a bit. But in the meantime, Joe... Um, we've seen some interesting developments perhaps further down the grid as well. Um, Obviously, we saw Williams have a very combustible car. We saw um, Alpine have a, again, somewhat combustible engine. We've seen Haas surprise many, I think, with the speed of the car, admittedly doing a lot of their runs on a clear track, but certainly surprising many perhaps with how much they were extracting from that and I guess my question really here is does testing give us a sense that we're going to have a closer midfield battle and one that is closer to the front of the grid this year
2: um I think it's difficult to extrapolate too far from two pre-season tests which in and of them sorry one shakedown and one test in and of (laughs) themselves keep fom happy yeah yeah sorry um Yes, Chase Carey and Stefano Domenicali have my soul. Um, yes, yeah, so they were both very different in terms of pecking orders and dynamics, and of course every team's running something different, and even FP1 versus FP2 was very different. Realistically, it's a pain that we're recording the podcast on Saturday morning because we still don't really have an accurate pecking order and how the how the team's spread out. The I mean, hope, that is
0: that is the point of this podcast, Joe. Exactly.
2: The hope, <laughs> the hope, though, is that teams sort of fourth on down are closer than they were last year, and considering that Haas turned up last year with a three-year-old tractor i think that is a safe assumption um i think that the possible outliers could well be williams a lot of what you guys are saying about mclaren and actually to a lesser extent aston martin as well it's all the mercedes powertrain cars and it you know i don't see how that would affect the aerodynamics overwhelmingly and apparently the, the power unit's lighter as well so it shouldn't have too much of an impact there it could well just be down on power and reliability versus Ferrari and, um, ho- sorry, not Honda, Red Bull Powertrains. Um, but yeah, it's, I, the hope is that it's a lot closer. Um, what I will say, though, is that uh, Haas signing Kevin Magnussen, and we'll get onto that in a little bit in the in the Russia segment of this podcast, I think Kevin Magnussen is an inspired signing for that team. Um, aggressive driver that he is, popular driver that he is, but I think he's going to develop the hell out of that car. And Haas are already looking... Um, Uh, They're kind of a satellite Ferrari, aren't they? They've got a base in Maranello now versus Banbury. So uh, the team's changed a lot in terms of infrastructure. They're still a small team, but it looks like they've um, got a very well-developed
0: car underneath them. Yeah, I think Haas are going to be an interesting prospect, I think, this year. There'll be more on Haas in general, as we mentioned later on, because a lot of what's happened in the last few weeks has had major implications on that team. But finally, Josh, um, if I can kind of finish testing off by coming to you... um, There has been, we're going to, I guess, move on to the regulations very shortly. And I guess what we can hope to see from the regulations. But um, certainly one thing that we saw throughout testing that dominated a lot of the discussion was porpoising. And, you know, obviously cars trying to maximise downforce through ground effect. But we saw this very uncomfortable bouncing for a lot of drivers throughout testing. Now, some teams we've seen Alpine have claimed that they've been getting over their porpoising issues. Uh, Many other teams as well seeking to move past them as well, from Mayo, another one. Um, how much of a problem really could porpoising be if teams don't solve this? Because we've seen, of course, the whole point of these new ground effect cars, seeking to maximise downforce underneath the car. That's the way that teams are going to be going. And equally, you could say, well, that's porpoising, maybe a sign that it's happening. But again, obviously, potential suspension damage, not the cleanest airflow. How much of an issue do you think that could be?
3: Um. It could be. I mean, you talk. I mean, look, listening to the, sort of the comments made by uh, Mercedes yesterday, they've obviously, you know, they've obviously flagged that the car being a lot more bumpy is, is, is impeding them, and they're sort of struggling to get the rear of their car a lot lower. Um, so it could be a it could be an issue, um, and it could be one that you know you don't see an immediate sort of solution for. Maybe again, it'll it'll take some time for them to sort of readjust. But um, but equally, you know. at the the end of the day you know teams obviously have have got have managed to get these cars really i mean i I was reading earlier that sort of the the, pirelli was saying that the times that been the fb2 fb2 lap times have been only 1.2 seconds off the equivalent times from last year from the same session so it doesn't seem to be necessarily causing too much of an issue in terms of speed compared to last year and so it yeah, it could definitely, it could definitely be an issue. As I said, Mercedes have like bouncing is an issue in particular, but equally speaking, it doesn't seem to have impacted the speeds compared to last season too much.
0: Well, I think going forward, I think this is going to be something very interesting, and we'll of course be talking more about those new regulations. What exactly they're going to do in a bit. Stick around; much more to discuss. <laughs> much to look forward then in 2022 getting us going of course with the new regulations this year and this i think has been really interesting because of course when the regulations were first announced towards the end of 2019 the whole premise of these new regulations closer racing perhaps greater standardization as well between the cars as well making it a fairer competition throughout we saw the budget cap come in last year is one attempt to do that now we're seeing the physical changes to the cars as well It's an exciting season, of course. We've already talked a little bit about the return of ground effects, the return of um, new ways to generate downforce underneath the cars, making them far easier to follow than previously. We've got some other kind of general um, changes throughout the cars. 18-inch wheels, much wider front wings as well, Um, much lower rear wings as well. There's a lot really to discuss, but all amongst that, um, there's been one area, it seems, that the FIA didn't quite... Anticipate there'd be some divergence on the regulations. And Joe, these are the side pods. Now, um, we've seen some quite interesting side pod designs over the years, some quite interesting designs around the area of car and the barge boards as well. But this year we've seen some pretty radical designs. We, of course, had all the controversies to start off with the Red Bull side pods. Many people saying that wasn't really in the regulations, it was quite a daring design. But then when we get to Bahrain last week we see Mercedes, I say bring a side pod. It's like they've shaved half the side pods off the car and you put their car up against the Ferrari side on. these look like completely different cars. Um, Rebel, well, Christian Horner was originally quoted as saying that he believed it wasn't within the regulations. He then publicly changed that and said, well, it's in the regulations, but he doesn't know if it'll be any good or not. Um, Joe, looking at this, do you think that these side pod changes, do you think perhaps there is a loophole here in the regulations the FIA didn't quite get to? Or do you think at the end of the day, the actual impact it will have on the racing and on the regulations being successful isn't going to be that much?
2: At least relative to before, I don't think uh, side-generated downforce above the car, aka side pods, Mm. are going to be as much of an impact have as much of an impact as they did last year. I mean, you just saw it after the uh, the bowling alley that was turn one at Hungary last year. Max lost one side pod, and it was like half the car had disappeared. Yeah. Like That's where all the downforce was being generated, and he really struggled around a track where, despite running high wings, downforce isn't actually at a premium. Um, so actually, the, the side pods, despite being radically different, may not have the same effect this year. I have to say that it's really refreshing to see the three teams go in such widely different directions, because... We, we talk about side pods, but really, in terms of aerodynamics, this year is more the absence of them. There's just no trickery around the sides. It's obviously designed to promote closer racing and stop the cars from being designed in isolation, designed to operate 1.8 to 2 seconds apart from each other. Um, yeah, Red Bull were kind of surprising at the shakedown in Barcelona. Mercedes obviously running this concept, which, as you said earlier, Haas and even Haas have apparently experimented with in simulations, and they prefer the wide body so i that mercedes may well have made a massive mistake with their tighter packaging and then there's the ferrari which almost looks like a wash basin i mean i've seen people say that what happens if it rains will it fill up to which (laughs) this is why f1 twitter deserves to be purged but there are some angles where if you look at the ferrari side pod shape like the the area around the gearbox cover it looks almost exactly like eau rouge radion which is a particularly uh, acute touch but um yeah, it, it's nice to see them going in different directions, even though in real terms, the peak aerodynamic generation this year is going to be stuff we don't even see because it's all underneath the car. And don't even try to ask me to explain that.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of those things it's, uh, where you need the mind of an Adrian Newey to know exactly how you get... The most downforce out of these cars but i guess we've been so used as we've said in the last few years to having side pod generated downforce whereas of course that has been detrimental to the airflow following a car making it difficult to follow this year of course everything coming from underneath the car is supposed to be a much cleaner airflow making it easier to follow but of course we're seeing with these side pod designs the teams may be trying to experiment here and i think that is very interesting and Dylan, it's it's interesting when we talk about all this experimentation because ross braun was very much saying look he's not he wasn't expecting this level of experimentation from the teams that these new regulations were designed to not effectively standardize the racing but you know to make it harder for teams to diverge too much they can be experimental without pushing the boundaries too far and undermining the spirit of the new regulations um do you think perhaps that there could be some potential for the FIA or some of the teams to step in and say that these things contravene the spirit of the regulations, whatever that's supposed to mean?
4: I don't think so. I think we may be seeing more experimentation because we've got that extra year of development. They just reused the old cars last year. But you've got to bear in mind that the FIA closely observed the designing of all of these cars. They were aware of what was going on. They were closely monitoring the teams. I think the only thing I can see the FIA sort of getting involved in, the floors of these new cars come out quite a way and have mm. lots of spiky bits on them to guide airflow. I think they're going to slice through a lot of tyres this year to the point where it may become dangerous. And I think that is where the FIA might get involved.
0: Well, maybe those wheel covers may come in more handy than, the, than they'd be hoping for, maybe. But, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because the, the solution in the past, Josh, has always been... That if you don't like a part that another team has got, you do your best to copy it or to ban it. Do you think there's kind of any part that any team has got? Because obviously Joe was saying that Haas don't find the Mercedes CyPod that attractive. It's not something that they're going to go for. And with CyPods, obviously, it's a far more radical design to change than maybe a few aerodynamic parts, maybe sorting out a diffuser, perhaps. So do you think perhaps there is that room to radically copy slash try and change parts of a car in the middle of the season to try and echo more successful designs?
3: Potentially. I mean, yeah, I mean, potentially teams will obviously, you know, if when a weird situation where sort of all the, you know, results that will come about from these first few races, that's the only information teams will have. They don't have any historical sort of uh, data to work on. So it they could potentially be looking at sort of how each team is sort of packaging, thing. I don't think there'll be massive changes, but you know, you certainly look at when it's down to I mean, Mercedes, maybe they decide to change course on the side pods. Ferrari's obviously got a very striking sort of nose cone, which is quite interesting. Um, But again, I don't know if they could really, if they decided that that wasn't working, I don't really see how much they could do to sort of change that. So you could see potentially um, some, you know, relative Changes, but I don't think there'll be anything super drastic. Um, and if not, then teams will just chalk it down as you know historical de- data for next season, then to sort of fix and change things.
0: Indeed, it's important to say that these is well, these new regulations. Are obviously, at the start, we're going to see a lot of these cars evolve. I mean, just look at the evolution of the cars between twenty seventeen and twenty twenty one. Even look at the evolution of the cars between two thousand nine and twenty sixteen. These were very radically developed cars that will be maxed out going forward and i guess rory perhaps looking to the future now and of course obviously the aim of these regulations is to promote closer racing it's to make the cars more raceable and there's been no set of regulations that have really been so explicit about that until now um do you think looking at this as the teams develop the cars they try to max out the perhaps the downforce and the capabilities they can get to speed up the cars do you think we'll still see that closer racing being a central point of these new regulations in this era of F1?
1: I think that's all still to be seen. I don't think it can really be predicted. I think this, the most striking thing to me about this side pods is that every single team seems to have a slightly different take on it, whether you have the obviously Mercedes basically no side pods to uh, some cars having massive ones that just ju- completely jut out the side. I think the fact that everyone's taken sort of quite disparate approaches to the side pods and the way they're sort of used in the car and in and, and generating downforce and, and their use uh, as far as technical ways go, I think it's going to be very interesting to see sort of which models do have precedence over the other. I think if it does cause a closer sort of a, a closer generation of racing, I think that would be incredible. I think it's what what sport needs over the last sort of five, six years of a, a very clear pecking order. Uh I, I don't think I can really uh, sit in my, my armchair, as it were, and, uh, and predict that from, from where I'm sitting right now. But I think it's going to be very interesting whatever happens.
0: Well, let's move on from the regulations now, from the tech, perhaps to the drivers themselves. Um, I'm going to start this little bit off with a question. I'm going to two hands up for, for the purpose. I, I can actually see everyone whilst we're recording this. So for the purpose of our listeners right now, I will give you a sense of who is agreeing with me. When I say agreeing with me on this, I'm going to put a statement that I personally don't agree with out there. And I want to see what my guests think. So, Mercedes. Will George Russell beat Lewis Hamilton this year? Hands up if you agree. Okay, cool. That's none of us then. So, um, yeah, we're all very much asserting Lewis Hamilton will beat George Russell. I've heard A lot of people say that they think George Russell is going to beat Lewis Hamilton this year and they're using the Daniel Ricciardo and Shell Leclerc examples against Sebastian Vettel as evidence of that. I just don't see it though. Lewis Hamilton, sure, didn't win the championship last year, but I still think he's driving amongst the best he's ever driven in Formula 1. And sure, the car may not be as good, but George Russell's not going to beat him this season. I think he's going to have to settle into the team. He's going to have to get used to the way Mercedes works. Maybe next year, certainly not this year and I'm thinking this is the consensus amongst everyone as well so let's go around everyone very quickly Rory I know you want to jump in first you're a big George Russell fan but Lewis Hamilton in
1: 2022 even you are saying that's too much for him I think the question might not be can George Russell beat Lewis Hamilton but will George Russell be allowed to beat Lewis Hamilton uh, by the the powers that be at Mercedes Uh, I think that you know, if, if obviously we're we're basing this on a very very small sample size of just the te- well the shakedown and tests and the uh, the full practice that we've seen, along with George Russell's one uh, Mercedes outing at Sakir, uh, what two years ago now. Hmm. Uh, it's you know it, it, we've we've seen a lot of potential, a lot of promise from it, and it, from the times that we're putting up. Obviously, the Mercedes has seemed to be a bit of a battle this year, but he's putting up very very competitive times, uh, especially in the the free practice sessions of yesterday. I think that it could be close and I think there could be an argument to be made that there might be uh, you know, a slight bit of team politics in play. I think that if if George Russell was looking like he was going to beat Lewis Hamilton at any point, I don't think that would really serve Mercedes a very good purpose. And I think they might have to intervene in in that kind of politics way that they're very much associated with in this day day and age in Formula One. But I think it's an interesting one to look at. Obviously, you know, I'm a a very big uh, George Russell absolutist. You know, he is... My, my boy from now and forever, future world champion. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think it's going to be interesting as well. And
0: Dylan, perhaps moving on to you next. I mean, George Russell has always been talked of as the next or one of the next big things, certainly the next big Mercedes thing. Obviously, you see he's going to Lewis Hamilton, where he's still the big thing at the moment in Mercedes. But, you know, if George Russell does have a few good races to start the season, unsettles Lewis Hamilton a bit, maybe gets a bit of a lead over Lewis in the championship. Do you think Mercedes might, especially if they improve the car, maybe mount more of a challenge towards the end of the season? Do you think Mercedes can tell Lewis Hamilton, actually, we might have to priorit- prioritise George here if he's doing better?
4: I just can't see that happening as a feasible possibility. I don't think... I like One, I don't think Hamilton would be rattled. We saw how far ahead mm. Red Bull were at Silverstone last year. Didn't bother Hamilton at all. Came back fighting stronger than ever. And... I don't know if Russell has the same mental strength out of the car. I think he can be quick over a lap, a race. But over a season, I don't know. We've seen flashpoints last year at Imola and sort of other things where things got the better of George. So I I don't know. I think he's still got a lot of developing to do and I don't think he'll better Hamilton this year or in maybe the years to come.
0: Well, I think Lewis is still obviously... He's on the grid as much as he wants to be, I think. And George Russell will obviously have that Mercedes seat in the future. So I think it'll be exciting to see how that one develops going forward. But let's move on to some other teams now um, with Josh and Joe. And there's, I guess, there's two things I want to talk about here. Firstly, um, let's start off with you, Joe, towards the bottom of the grid. Um, Alfa Romeo, of course. Valtteri Bottas has gone to Alfa Romeo this season. Um, leaving Mercedes, there's always been a sense that he may be the driver perhaps to revitalise and help develop that car, perhaps in a way, as we've discussed before, Kimi Räikkönen wasn't able to do. Um, Bottas is someone who has shown in the past that he can work well within a team environment. He's someone who obviously could be really good at developing that car. But Alfa Romeo, it seems, have a lot more problems beyond Valtteri Bottas. Do you think this could? this is an inspired move for him? looking at what we've seen so far in testing. And also, how do you think Guan Yu Zhou will fare, F1's only debutant this year, will fare against Bottas?
2: It's hard to say if it was an inspired decision or not when it was literally the only choice Valtteri Bottas had to stay on the grid because I realistically don't think Williams would have been as easy to organise as some people were saying it would have. I mean, if it was, he would have gone there, let's be honest, with the Mercedes-Lynx. So I also, I also I see your clear structuring as well, moving on from George Russell immediately to Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> and the two were intrinsically linked. Hindsight's twenty twenty. but I think for the sake of constructors last year, drivers last year, and his development mercedes are probably regretting not promoting george russell for the beginning of last year because unpopular opinion he was not great in the second half of last year at williams i think he really stagnated a little bit and I, i think a year at mercedes would have been perfect for him going into these new regs um but bottas do you know what this is an unpopular opinion especially considering i slagged him off as much as i did last year with all the criticism of valtteri bottas and the amount of residual pace that he still has. I think Bottas is now the most underrated driver on the grid. And throughout testing and free practice yesterday, he looks fantastic. You know, there is a genuine chance at the beginning of the season that he is finishing ahead of Mercedes if that Alfa Romeo is capable of sticking together. Um, maybe it's not great in terms of long run pace, but in terms of one lap stuff, it looks fantastic. Um I think in terms of versus Guan Yu Zhou or Zhou Guan Yu as F1 decides and then not doesn't decide to follow East Asian naming conventions, don't even get me started on it. <laughs> um, I, I think it's going to be a kind of Gasly versus Sonoda situation. G- Guan Yu Zhou is not a bad driver at all. I just don't expect him to be anywhere near Bottas because especially in terms of qualifying, Bottas has just got so much pace. But um, yeah, a little prediction for earlier on. I, I think Bottas is going to be one of the best drivers on the grid this year. Um, yeah, a really good pick for Alpha.
0: I think people always forget with Bottas. They do, because he was at Mercedes for so long, obviously the high profile nature of that. I think it's very easy to forget his time at Williams, where up against Felipe Massa, particularly early on in his career as well, Bottas never looked out a place against Felipe Massa. And he was always the driver that was moving Williams further up the grid. So, He's a very capable driver. Joe, I know you want to come back in very quickly.
2: To be honest, I don't think the comparison with Massa was actually the most important thing. It was in isolation, Bottas looked fantastic Mm. at Williams. Like 2013, that car was dreadful. But Canada, he put it third on the grid (laughs) completely legitimately. Like that is is one of the most underrated quality performances of the last 10 years. And I, I talk about his qualifying pace, but in terms of race pace, until the last couple of years where the Mercedes would get caught in traffic... Bottas is really not far away from the Mm. best. Maybe he lacks that killer instinct of a top driver, but he's not at a top team anymore. I I think he could be a real star in the midfield. He will be, for Alfa Romeo, what they wanted from Kimi Raikkonen.
0: It's a little bit almost, I think, like Rubens Barrichello in some sense. Now, obviously, Barrichello didn't have the Honda beneath him to do what he needed to do. But certainly maybe if you look at the Braun season in 2009, or maybe his certainly his first season at Williams in 2010, I could see Bottas playing that kind of role. He's got a car. That's a decent midfield runner that he can extract some very good results out of. And I think Bottas and Barrichello is a very good comparison, I think to make of the sort of caliber of driver. So I think that could be a very interesting one. Indeed. Um, let's move to Williams now. So obviously George Russell leaving Williams, Josh at the end of last season. Um, Nicholas Latifi is there with Alex Albon. Now, if, uh, you really do get the feeling that if Alex Albon can't get things ticking in that Williams for him this year, it will be the end of his F1 career. Um, do you think Williams, A, first you have the package to allow Albon to deliver, and B, do you think relative to Nicholas Satifi, who's always been criticised as maybe not being F1 calibre, now he's got Alex Albon and not George Russell as his teammate, do you think this is his chance to show, perhaps, how good he is?
3: Um, well, I feel like, as a, in general, F one's quite quick to react to drivers if they're underperforming. And Albon suddenly, at it, AlphaTauri was it or Toro Rosso? It was sort of very quick, and then it he then went to Red Bull and obviously paled in comparison to Verstappen. And so I'm I'm happy he's getting another shot at it. Um, how if, if he's got if Williams are going to give him the package to succeed in? I don't I don't know entirely. Um, partly because Bahrain is a track that Williams don't typically do super well with because of the sort of wind, sand, and the heat. Um, and certainly reading reading Nicholas TV's comments, he's he's clearly not pleased with where the car is at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's hard to it's hard to say on the eve of the Bahrain Grand Prix whether Williams are going to do amazingly. Knowing that you know, I we probably need to look at a few more tracks. But suddenly, you know, reliability-wise, they seem to be doing okay. There's no real issues there. It just seems to be that they just need to, they just need more time on the track to sort of find what, how, where to make those small gains really. So, um, I yeah, I can I think they'll be more competitive for sure. And you know, Latifi, you know, yes, he has been derided, but he had some solid performances last season where, yeah as the guys have referenced, there were times where he sort of outshone Russell throughout the weekend. So, you know, I, I'm quite interested to see how, how they'll do. And it's a bit of a fresh start for them. And let's see, you know, how, how high they can go.
0: Indeed, I think Williams have, I think there's a real sense that that investment could really start to pay benefits. He just need more time on the track. Well, let's move on to two teams. And Joe, I know we spoke a lot about Alpine uh, towards the end of last season, perhaps some of the turmoil that was potentially going on there. Well, we've seen numerous departures, um, from Alpine over the winter. Um, in particular, now we have the appointment of Otmar Safanauer, who's moved from Aston Martin to Alpine to become its new team principal under Laurent Rossi. Um, he's been a wily operator, um, Otmar Safanawa, someone who's developed a real reputation for himself and making the most out of a team with limited resources. Um, Do you think, and you were slightly pessimistic about Alpine and their prospects for 2022 towards the end of last year, do you think Zafnauer going over there perhaps restores some optimism to the team? Possibly. I think even with Otmar
2: Zafnauer, who is able to enact some pretty quick changes and upturns in form, even with him, I think it's going to take a bit of time. And I I will be completely honest, Alpine are the most chaotic team on the grid for me this year, and they are the the team I most struggle with putting into the pecking order. And that includes Haas. Genuinely, I've got no idea where this Alpine is relative to its competition. It could well be a situation kind of like Honda going into 2009, later Mm. Braun, in the sense that the car is actually quite decent with some very good drivers, but the team behind it's chaos. I mean, I was looking at the... The shakedown results i'm thinking yeah unreliability aside the alpine doesn't look as bad as i thought it was going to be but then my um, my source close to Enstone is saying that the team is it's just not a good environment culture of resignation still going on and you know there is a reason they're called alpine renault are just not as invested in this as they were mm. a couple of years ago once their five-year plan fell by the wayside so yeah, I- I'm still very much on the side of pessimism. Not to mention the fact that, as uh, as Rory re- referred uh, referenced earlier, it is now uh, racing Alpine, not Alpine anymore.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, five year plans haven't historically had a good history, and I'm not sure necessarily that this one will be doing the same. Um, Rory, of course, Alpine moving on away from them, of course, where Alpine's gain is Otmar more and perhaps Aston Martin lost, is out. Al- out my hour. Don't worry. Um, Aston Martin have shaved over the crack. More specifically, they've got my Crack or Mike Crack in place. I'm gonna have to get that pronunciation right throughout the season. Or thank God this isn't on Ofcom. Thank God Ofcom don't regulate this podcast because th- this is my. I, I, I'm not as well. I'll just have. I'll just have to be careful, but not to the stage where I'll get Ofcom complaints against you. But yeah, Mike Crack has joined. Um, Aston Martin, but he is certainly the guy to paper over the cracks that um, Omar Safnauer has left with a decade of experience working with BMW um, within F1 previously, working within um, World Endurance Championship as well. He brings a wealth of experience with him um, to Formula One. Do you think, as Aston Martin and you said last year, you were quite critical of them almost plateauing a bit last year. Do you think he is the guy to replace Omar Safnauer and really give them that step to reverse their declines and yeah paper over the cracks in form they had last year
1: yeah I, I was very very critical of Aston Martin last year I thought I, I'm pretty sure they were my choice for my, my biggest disappointment mm. of the year um, I thought that you know their driver pairing just put in lacklustre uh, performance after lacklustre performance even their their iconic racing green livery as you said the Lotus Curse uh, it wasn't popping on the TV broadcast it didn't look good which they've absolutely corrected that this year I must say my, my livery watch <laughs> I, 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 it does sort of seem like I'm just a closeted, just livery fan in, in F1, but I, I do love the new, uh, the new brighter shade of green they're going for with the the lime accents. It's very, very beautiful. Maybe I should have a new segment about that. <laughs> I, I think it's it, it's very much a, a, a do or die year for Aston Martin. I think that last year, for such a a massive name and for the team that was Racing Point, a very impressive upper midfield team before they became Aston Martin, I think they did you know they were massively disappointing massively disappointing and i think that if mike crack can come in and you know produce some good results obviously they've got the mercedes powertrain in there we've had questions raised about that and uh, you know their their approach to the new regulations it all just it will serve to be seen whether it will be a good a good approach or not uh keeping the same driver pairing i think probably a good idea i'm not sure if there were any sort of ad- advocates for removing either seb or lance stroll from their seats um but I mean, yeah, it's it just uh, as we say, we're on the Saturday before Bahrain, we're Saturday before qualifying. We have no idea what the pecking order is. They need to show, show some kind of development, some kind of response to last year because it just simply wasn't good enough. And hopefully, Mike Crack can bring that along. I do, I do really hope that they do it. I really hope they do because I like Seb. I do, I do like Lance Stroll. Uh, you know, if if not only for the Monaco memes, but we'll see. It it it'll it will you know, it, it's all in the future. We just got to see what happens.
0: Indeed. And I think that's certainly going to be a story. I think a lot of people will be keeping watch on throughout the season. Anyway, let's move on now to another big story. And I guess, obviously, I, I think it's important perhaps to say at this point, obviously, we're sat here talking about F1 today. There are, of course, far more consequential things going on in the world at this moment in time. And obviously, horrible things taking place at the moment, obviously, in Ukraine at the moment, since the Russian invasion on February the 24th. And in many ways, the fact that we are talking about this in the podcast, in many ways linked to the F1 related things of this. Um, obviously it's, uh, you know, it, it, the fact that we can even get away almost and do that is, you know, it's a very obviously serious situation taking place in Ukraine at the moment. Of course, there are many ways you can get involved, obviously, and support, um, the humanitarian effort in the Ukraine. Obviously, the Red Cross, um, emergency appeal being one of those ways in particular, but, Yeah, I think to start off by, I think, prefacing that before we go into this section here, talking more widely about the F1-related impacts of the invasion, because, of course, the, should we say, the political and economic isolation of Russia has had significant effects on Formula One, not only on the calendar, which we'll come to in a bit, but in particular to America's Formula One team, which, of course, last year had significant Russian backing um, from Dmitry Mazepin and Ural Kalai, which, of course, had Nikita Mazepin getting a seat in Formula 1. Now, um, of course, Russian um, drivers have been banned from racing um, under Russian colours um, in Formula 1, in FIA um, motorsport events. We've, of course, seen as well that many Russians have been told to take part. They've been told they can take part as neutrals provided they sign an agreement from the FIA. One of the terms, we believe, is is to condemn the invasion. Many Russian drivers have pulled out of FIA events, Danny Kvyat being one of them. We've seen Robert Schwartzman's pulled out as well. And, of course, the Mazepins, um, Nikita Mazepin losing his seat in Formula One, Araukalai's sponsorship being withdrawn. We've seen as well, of course, um, Dmitry Mazepin and Nikita, both of them sanctioned by the EU recently for their um, close links to the Kremlin through Araukalai's this, of course, has had significant impacts on Haas, of course, significant questions over their financial funding. We do know that, well, there's two things. Firstly, Haas have said that they're going to be fine financially, that they will be able to continue from this. Secondly, they brought Kevin Magnussen, their former driver from 2017 to 2020, back onto the grid. So we'll talk about Magnuson in a bit. But firstly, Dylan, if we can just focus, of course, on Mazepin and your alkali. Um You know, Haas were in a massive financial hole at the end of 2020 and this was really seen as a big part of their finances. But as we're seeing now, the potential turmoil that it has caused for Haas, do you think Haas will be able to get through this in the longer term? I think so. I think that
4: facing this sort of crisis and this hole in their funding is definitely something that questioned Haas' commitment to the sport but I think the way in which they've responded, they've signed Magnussen, right? They didn't go searching for a pay driver. They're, they're dedicated to this. That was a statement of intent, I feel. Mm-hmm. It's, we're here, we're racing. And I think the financial troubles are kind of a misnomer for Haas because it's not really about the, I don't know, because the funding can be there if Gene Haas wants to put it in. He's a very you know, wealthy individual who can yeah. fund this team as well as he would like. But he's focused on making it turn a profit, and that means only putting so much financial resource in. So they have to show that they're a good investment, but I don't think you can do that if all you're worried about is having enough money to get to the next race. They've got to show that they're here to race. They're here to maybe not win, but push forward significantly, score points consistently. And I think going into this season, even though it's been mired by all this controversy, I think they've taken the right steps through it and look a lot better for it. I think the sense of optimism that they can go into the first qualifying session with is a lot stronger
0: than it would have been if Mazepin was maybe still in place. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting, this. And we'll come back to Magnussen in a little bit. But Josh, when we look at Haas, certainly over the last couple of seasons, they've had some controversies with their sponsorships. Um, Obviously, Araucali last year um rich energy back in 2019. Um there's always there's always been a bit of a feeling with Haas that as Dylan said, Gene Haas has had the money to invest in that team, but he's not always really followed that up with the commitment. Now with Araucali pulling out and of course we've seen Magnuson coming back in and that real sense from Haas that yes they'll get through this. They will be able to get that funding in. I mean are you are you as confident as Dylan? about Haas going forward potentially in the sport? Or are you a little bit more pessimistic perhaps that their status as America's Formula One team may be challenged elsewhere simply because they're not willing to put the commitment up?
3: Um, I'm quite optimistic that they'll stick around. I mean, partly obviously you can't deny that drive to survivors obviously, and increased sort of marketing in America sort of help the sport and I don't think fans would want to lose a team when we sort of, at the stage where we are, where we sort of look around and go, there's not enough spots for drivers. It would be in the sport's worst interest to then lose a team. Um, The fact, and I know you said you were going to get onto Magnussen, but the fact that they gave him a multi-year contract rather than a one-year contract is already a sign that they are committed to, you know, sticking around for a bit. And obviously Magnussen would have wanted to hear it. I don't know if he, I mean, maybe he would have taken a one-year deal. It's, it, it, it's a bit of a what if, but the fact that you know, they, they they talked to him and said, look,' we're, we're still going to invest for a couple of seasons at least. that's a, that's a good sign. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just I, I do think that they'll be that they'll be okay. And I think you know, I think given that the sports sort of increased popularity, and I know Gunter Steiner has said that it's been difficult to secure sort of sponsorships from American brands, I'm sure at some point the tide will sort of turn and there will be someone looking to get into it. Um, So I'm not too, too concerned. And also I think, like I said, I think because of the sport's increased popularity and there being more fans, I think, you know, it's in the sport's worst interest to lose a team at this point. Um, And with, you know, having, we've seen obviously loads of other car brands being linked with the sport, but the fact that none of them have really made any moves towards it. And so I feel like, you know, it will, I you know, keeping them in the sports probably is probably the best outcome at this point.
0: Indeed. Well, we'll talk about in a bit one team that has been potentially talked up in from the US coming in the future. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. In the meantime, though, Kevin Magnussen, Joe, you said this was an inspired signing. I'd agree with you. I mean, I was pretty certain that they were going to stick Pietro Fittipaldi in the car when I knew that they were going to get rid of Mazepin. And I was the the thought I would just had was... Ugh. Because you look at Pietro Positipaldi's record, there is nothing impressive about it whatsoever. There's nothing there that justifies him getting a seat in Formula 1, especially when you have Oscar Piastri sitting on the sidelines. But I feel like Kevin Magnussen is perhaps one of the only drivers, if not the only driver there that possibly could, for me, have almost appeased the fact that Oscar Piastri wasn't on the grid. Um, Joe what was your thoughts on this because certainly it's a uh, you said it's an inspired move and i agree with you Um, First thing, you are being very
2: mean to Pietro Fittipaldi. He's actually a very talented Formula 1 driver who's done... He had some very good showings in IndyCar last year, and he won Formula Renault, which is a really big deal. Um, It's kind of been replaced by Formula 2, Formula GP2, but Formula Renault used to be where a lot of F1 drivers came from, like Carlos Sainz, that's where he came from. So actually, Pietro Fittipaldi would have been a good pick, certainly better than Nikita Mazepin. But in terms of Magnussen, it's not just how good of a driver they're getting back, it's just the overwhelming sense of karma that's come over the Haas Formula One team because and this is going to offend quite a few British Formula One fans Nikita Mazepin did not steal a Formula One seat from Callum Eilat Callum Eilat was never going to be in Formula One last year he stole the seat from Kevin Magnussen Grosjean was gone no matter what he could have never had that crash in uh, um, in Sakir, and he would not have been on the grid for the following year because he was falling off the pace they were going to bring in Mick Schumacher Magnussen would have had the second seat had, had Has had has, had the funding. With Mazepin now gone, I can't believe that I, and it seemed most of the Formula One paddock, just didn't see this coming because in terms of affinity with the team, quality, the age of the driver, the low contract, the amount of backing he actually brings, Kevin Magnussen is an unbelievably sensible pick on all of those counts. And in the wake of Mazepin leaving, he's an incredibly popular driver as well because people rightly understand just how screwed over Kevin Magnuson was at the end of 2020. And as we've already seen in testing, fantastic pick in terms of raw pace as well. Again, karma, he comes back to the team. The moment Haas have a good package. Mazepin leaves when the car stops being a tractor. Um, also just a final quick point on him. I think he is the perfect uh, yardstick to measure Mick Schumacher by. Mick Schumacher destroying Nikita Mazepin means nothing. Mazepin for me is the worst F1 driver of the last 10 years. And that includes Max Chilton. Kevin Magnussen is a really good qualifier. He got the 2019 Haas into Q3 on a regular basis. So if Mick can beat him, that is a fantastic sign. But he's also not an insurmountably good teammate like Pierre Gasly or Lewis Hamilton. If Mick is able to beat Magnussen this year, that secures his Formula One future in the short to medium term and proves that he's a real talent. If Magnussen is able to beat him, then we get a good sign of perhaps Mick Schumacher isn't the amazing talent we thought he was. Either way, Haas, Loki have one of, for me, one of my favourite lineups on the grid. And the dynamic between those two is going to be fascinating to watch because they're both really likeable guys.
0: Yeah, and I think the thing with Kevin Magnussen as well, and I think it's something people forget 2018, just how good Kevin Magnussen was. And the fact that the only reason Haas were really ever in that fight for fourth in the constructors... Was because of Magnussen, and they probably could have got fourth if Roman Grosjean knew how to drive the car in the first few races of the season. So, and if, and
2: if the team knew how to attach tires in crucial pit stops,
0: that too, that too. He is always he's a driver I've always really highly rated, and I think has for far too long gone under the radar. Sure, twenty twenty was not a great season for Kevin Magnussen, but I think a lot of that was just down to the Hass itself. But he had a good season in IndyCar last year. He's clearly hungry. And I think, yeah, that's a very inspired move for Haas and that knowledge of the team as well, that's important. Dylan, I know you wanted to jump in on this point. Kevin Magnuson coming back, how excited are you by that? Very. I think it's, again, fills me with optimism for this Haas team because
4: they were able to admit that they made a mistake. No, bringing two rookies in wasn't mm. the right idea for us. We don't have the infrastructure to support and develop them in the way that we need to, to be able to be competitive. I think... The fact that they brought someone more experienced in is definitely a brilliant idea. I think it's what the team needed. They've got someone to lead the development of the new car under the new regulations and someone to, like Joe said, provide a yardstick to Mick Schumacher to find out how good he really is.
0: Yeah, and I think that point as well with Mick Schumacher, because Mick Schumacher has always had the label of the driver who comes to fruition in the second season. So maybe this is going to be a crucial test against a driver like Kevin Magnussen, who certainly no slouch. I think that's going to be exciting. Um, Rory, last words on Haas very quickly. And we're actually, well, not necessarily 100% on Haas here, but Andretti. There were rumours that Andretti were looking to bring a team into Formula One in 2024. We'd heard that they were considering submitting their entry to the FIA. It was been openly discussed getting that team into Formula 1. And of course, if there's one thing about Andretti, as we've seen in IndyCar, they will invest in that team. And there's always been that rumour that with all the difficulties and uncertainties over Haas, Andretti could go and fill that void. Now, see what we've seen with Haas and perhaps what we've just been discussing here. If Andretti were to make that application into Formula 1, do you think that they would come in to replace Haas or do you think we'd be getting an all-American showdown in the midfield lower part of the grid at some point between Haas and Andretti?
1: I would really, really love the American showdown. I think that would be a, a very, very exciting thing to bring to F1. And um, well, l- looking at the future prospects of Haas, I know that I think Gene Haas said that he's, he's willing to carry on the season just purely floating with his money. I think he it, 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 there's a very, very interesting uh, sort of idea that Gene Haas uses the F1 team as marketing for his, his tools uh, company. And, and you know Haas tools are in every single garage in the F1 grid which I think is a very novel way of advertising. Um, But I think if they can get through this season, hopefully they perform well enough. They can bring on a few additional sponsors, perhaps a new title sponsor in the the, the gulf that Eurikolai has left. I think that if an Andretti team does succeed to to enter the sport, I think that would be very, very entertaining. I'd always be up for a 22-car grid. I think that would be a very, very exciting thing, something that I've certainly not seen in in a very long time. Uh, I think... Yeah, I, I think why, why not bring some American spirit? I think I've been watching a, a Netflix documentary on on NASCAR. I've seen some some amazing sort of uh, uh, fan participation sort of thing. If we can bring that bring everyone to that bigger market in the US, you know, even expanding beyond what we've got already. I know we've got the Miami expansion, which you guys are very very excited about. Uh, so yeah, you know, why not bring on the Americans? I say do it. Well, all I will say
0: is if we're bringing a bunch of rednecks who only know how to watch cars that turn to the left into Formula One. I say all the better for that. I would like to make it just quick. Andretti do
2: not have a team in NASCAR because they rightly see themselves as above NASCAR.
0: (laughs) On that point, let's move back to the calendar very quickly. Um, Miami's coming in and we're going to obviously talk about how excited we are to go to Miami, very surely. But we have to replace Sochi, of course, first as well, because obviously the Russian Grand Prix has been cancelled. And even if it wasn't cancelled, there'd be no opportunities for us to fly to Russia and stage the race in the first place so i just want to go around very quickly from each of you istanbul park seems to be the favorite to replace sochi at the moment and the turkish grand prix take that slot is that the one that you personally would like to take that slot do you think there's another track that could do it let's go around very quickly let's start off with joe I'm fine with Istanbul coming back, despite uh,
2: logistical issues with the race last year and a couple of friends of mine who went and were less than impressed by the organisation. It's not my number one, though. We've been through this before. Take us back to Sepang. That track always delivers. And Geodiversity. If MotoGP's in Indonesia, I don't see why Formula 1 can't go to Malaysia.
0: Indeed. And I believe MotoGP's also in Malaysia as well. So really no excuse. Dylan? I think Turkey maybe.
4: If you want another European track, I don't think there's anything wrong with the 22 track calendar. You know, it's a bit of a slog doing 23. I do feel sorry for the teams and those triple headers, but Sepang's a great track too. But I do think it's going to be Turkey or 22 tracks.
1: Rory? Yeah, for me it's it's between Turkey Turkey which gave me one of my favourite races of, of my watching career a couple of years ago, Lewis Hamilton taking his his seventh world championship. The only other contender I'd like to see is I'd love to see a return to Hockenheim. I really do miss it. And I think it's a it's a staple that should be should be acknowledged a bit more. Indeed, although got Germany
0: in late September is I can imagine that being extremely fun indeed. Josh, what about yourself?
3: Um I mean the guys have said, Sepang, I, 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 am. I'd be biased to say I'd love to go back. Um, in an ideal world, I would love a return to Kailami. I. It's very idealistic. I don't think it'll happen, but a race on the African continent would make a lot of sense, and I think is needed. Um, but yeah, Turkey, I'm fine with. You know, Portimao, I'm also fine with. Um, and yeah, there's there's a lot of good. Op- there's a lot of options. There's a lot of good options." Which is
0: yeah, there is. There's a lot of good options. I mean, I would have said Sepang or Portimao. I think Portimao. I think just because the racing wasn't necessarily the most exciting there in 2021, I don't. I think undum doesn't take away from just how good a track Portimao is, and the fact it's quite easy to race in the Algarve still in late September because temperate wise it's quite nice, and logistics wise as well. The teams probably would appreciate maybe not having to travel so far to get to one race when they're doing loads of triple headers and flyaways later on in the season. But yeah, I think Turkey will get it. And it's not like it's a bad track though. It is still a good track. Um, Other bits of news, I guess one bit of news that we need to finish off on. Michael Massey is gone. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord and all these other celebratory things. Obviously we know people know, obviously maybe I'm a bit biased as a Lewis Hamilton fan, as to how much I don't like Michael Massey. And certainly Max Verstappen and Christian Horner would not be approving of the way that I seem to be hounding out Michael Massey from Formula 1. But, um, of course, after all the controversies with Abu Dhabi, indeed, throughout 2021, Michael Massey has been replaced as race director by Eduardo Freitas and the World Endurance Championship and Niels Wittek, um, who will be alternating as race directors throughout the season. Herbie Blash, who was the former technical delegate Um, under Charlie Whiting will be taking a more advanced role supporting both of the new race directors. It's a new system having these two race directors and a seeming focus um, post Abu Dhabi to really try and diversify the stewards and to really, um, I guess, try and move on from a situation where there's not too much on one person, as that seems to be with Michael Massey. Um, Dylan, looking at this, do you think it's enough to keep Lewis Hamilton happy, perhaps? I don't think it really
4: matters whether Lewis Hamilton's happy or not. Clearly, that didn't bear any any weight on uh, last year's decisions. But I do think logistically, sort of in manage in terms of managing a race, having more than one person makes sense. Maybe it should be a committee. It seems like a logical move. I've been surprised by how sort of um, strong these two race directors have come out of the gate. They changed the result of the F two race. Um, sorry, F three race by enforcing track limits. So they're really pushing this hard, and that's pushing down through the feeder series. Uh, they gave someone a five-second penalty to push them from first to second after they exceeded these new boundaries on track limits. So interesting. it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But the fact that it's not just on one person makes a lot of sense. You can't manage
0: a title race or a race yeah, I mean, like that. Yeah, it is an interesting thing because obviously they want to go out hard, but equally things like track limits, for example, have become so confused over the last couple of years. Joe, in general, there's been a real emphasis upon clarification and seeking to clarify a lot of rules and procedures at the top and make it more simpler to understand at the bottom. Now, you could argue there's still some issues with this. The fact you have multiple and alternating stewards may undermine the work of the race director, but seeing what we saw at the end of 2021 and the fact that it was genuinely so chaotic, do you think that we have more, cons- a potential for more consistency and clarification this year?
2: I mean there is the concern that with two race directors alternating you could have two very different approaches but the truth is the race director is there to enforce one set of rules mm. and as we saw with Michael Massey last year it was like we had four different race directors throughout the year no one really knew what how much Michael Massey was going to enforce like I hate to I hate to expose this to the Hamilton fans but last year during the Bahrain Grand Prix I think Hamilton had what 23 track limit violations and didn't get a single penalty so the fact we're already seeing it passed down even in the in the junior formula this morning is a really really good sign that concrete black and white rulings are going to be passed down also Eduardo Freitas every time I've seen him like he's he's done the Sebring 1000 miles this weekend in WEC and IMSA and with massive crashes and massive incidents he did a really good job officiating the race from what I've been told so it makes perfect sense on a human level and also yeah, ideally you want one solid race director, but in the wake of twenty twenty one, hell, making changes can't be a bad thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of clarifications and changes, um Josh, um the safety car. Now the FIA have been very clear that they wanted to outline this procedure and make it a lot clearer. So there's been there's two key points to take from this. Firstly, the FIA have said that um when a safety car is uh, when the car unlapped car or when lap cars are allowed to unlap themselves every lapped car now has to unlap that was of course to address the controversy that only lap cars between hamilton and verstappen were allowed to unlap themselves not those between um verstappen and science for example in abu dhabi the second rule that's been clarified is the rule regarding the safety car going in the following lap after the notification has been given for cars to unlap themselves. unlap That has now been clarified by the stewards. They're now saying that that is the case. And also they've been saying a situation similar to Abu Dhabi can't be allowed to happen again. So it's likely, for example, you may get a red flag if something like that happens in the future. Do you think think that this sufficiently addresses the controversies from Abu Dhabi? And do you think perhaps its admittance from the FIA, that Michael Massey, the stewards and the team on the day got that wrong?
3: Um, to answer your question about what the changes does, I think it removes that element of doubt. I think it provides a clear interpretation because c- beforehand, as we saw, it was, it was up to the race director's sort of discretion to interpret it. And now there's a singular, singularly clear interpretation of the rules. Um, does it, sorry, what was your second question?
0: Um, do you think it's an admittance from the FIA that perhaps they got it wrong?
3: Um, I mean, certainly that situation shouldn't have been there in the first place. Um, And yes, the person who made that decision is Michael Massey. And ultimately, yes, he had to go. But I think this situation, if this, I mean, it clearly had to happen for this to be addressed because otherwise it would have just remained that way. And I feel like Michael Massey shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. So I'm glad that they've addressed it. Um, and yes, clearly they have sort of ad- by doing this they have sort of admitted that what they did on the day was wrong. Um, but I'm now glad that it's sort of clear that regardless of whoever is race director now there's a singly sort of clear interpretation and you know it's now I'm no longer left to sort of official sort of discretion.
0: Something else as well very quickly. and Rory, I'm going to ask you about this and I want to hear your thoughts. Um, VAR. Coming to Formula 1 or the sort of F1 equivalent of this. Um, I only really heard about this a couple of days ago. And I'm to be honest, I'm still entirely confused about how it's going to work. But it seems that F1 teams are going to be allowed to now peacefully petition the race director. Not that we saw last year where these messages would be broadcast live on the radio. F1 teams are going to be allowed to talk to the race director. They're going to be allow them or ask them to make decisions and review decisions. But these won't necessarily have an impact on the stewards, or on the race. It sounds to me a little bit tokenistic. Do you think that this is something that will work, or do you think perhaps you need something, say like you have in tennis, for example, where you have a a specific amount of referrals you can make to the race director?
1: Well... I don't, I don't think it would be a, a bad thing for it to be in, sort of imputed into F1 if it was used productively. I think if it's just something that we're using for the sake of posterity, well, we can do that after races anyway. Uh, with, with, I mean, what we've just seen with the rulebook being changed and adapted depending on how the race stewards, you know, act uh, during the race. Uh, I think that it's, it's, it has potential to really correct the sort of um, the the situation that we saw at the end of last year, which obviously should never have been allowed to happen. There should never have been that much controversy shrouding such an important race. Uh, and I think, you know, if, if it's used properly, I think that if, if there was a way that it could be sort of peacefully initiated, I think certainly, uh, you know, as a race director, having a very angry Christian Horner or Toto Wolf certainly in your ear uh, is not going to help you make the right decisions. I think if it was implemented in that kind of way i think it would be it, it would be a, a very positive thing for the sport
0: well if only if only it will be implemented positively we say that about so many things with the steward's office these days but it seems our ambitions aren't always met well plenty more to come it's time now to hear our championship predictions that to come in a bit you're still listening to the armchair f1 podcast All right, it's time to make some predictions ahead of 2022. What we're going to do, we're going to make these predictions. I'm going to lock them away, throw them under lock and key, get them out again at the end of November, see how well we've done. As ever, we're going to go over some of the awards that we did last season, and we're going to go again over the main awards so far. So the awards that we had, the whole sections on, all the debate on at the end of last season. We're going to go over them now, and I'm going to see what my panel think and of course we'll bring it up again in November to see again how well everyone has done so let's start off I know I gave it to them in an order but um I'm going to do it in a slightly different order um just to throw it up in the air so let's start off with your surprise package of the season I'm going to start off and I'm going to say Haas I I'm buoyantly optimistic if that is a boy buoyantly Is that the word? Buoyantly optimistic. There we go. I'm like floating on a... This is why I'm not an English student, clearly. But um, I'm buoyantly optimistic about how well Haas will do this season. I think that based off of testing, I think it's very clear their strategy to focus on 2022 seems to have worked. I think getting Kevin Magnussen back in the car, you know, it means unlike what they would have had, where they would have had one good driver, they've got two good drivers now. And that's going to go a long way for them. And I, and I just think that, sure, I, it's not going to be easy. There will be teething problems. There are going to be races where they're going to struggle and probably maybe be right at the back. But I do think Haas have made a step forward. And I do think there is, with both Schumacher and Magnussen, I'm optimistic that they could get themselves firmly back into that midfield. And I think, given based upon where I think, where I thought they were going to be. Still at the back, maybe like sort of Williams in 2020. Still at the back, but at least a bit closer. I think Haas have the ability to move a bit further forward. I'd say consistently lower points, or at least challenging the lower ends of the points. It's not going to be, you know, they're not going to be going for fifth, sixth, that kind of thing. But they are a decent enough team. And I think they could really surprise a few people this season. So I'm going to say my surprise package is Haas. Josh, who is yours?
3: This is difficult because I feel like in F one everything's an open, nothing's a secret. Everything's very open. Like people know how good teams are and drivers are. That said, I've I've literally made up my mind and gone with the Williams drivers because I think Latifi has been wrongly, uh, I don't know, shamed maybe for his part in the in the season finale, and I don't think he's as bad as a driver. Like as we saw, sort of alluded to, he actually. Had a very decent second half of the season against Russell. I don't think he's as bad as people would put him, and I also think Albon. There's a lot more to him than just the Red Bull stint, and I feel like on if we're looking at surprise package being ex- exceeding expectations, I do think they'll be more competitive. I don't know if they'll challenge necessarily for points regularly, but I feel like they'll prove to people that they are a lot that they sort of merit a place in F1 and they're not just there just just to make up the numbers, I guess.
1: Okay, Rory, let's come on to you now. So I've gone a similar vibe to you, Cam, but I've gone more specific. I've gone for my overachiever being Kevin Magnussen. Uh, obviously coming out from a year away from F1, putting in some great uh, great performances in other other series elsewhere. Uh, I think that there's a very positive buzz around this team right now. And I think that Kevin Magnussen, as we've alluded to throughout this whole podcast, he's probably been the, the MVP of this, uh, this session so far. Uh, I think he's he's got potential to do really, really well. I think he's exactly the kind of driver that Haas needs, especially if you know, if if they were putting so much effort into this car over the course of last year, which sort of accounts for their, their performance last year in that tractor. Uh, I think that he could be a very good driver to sort of take that take that to some good places. So I think that hopefully we'll see a bit of a shake-up, especially amongst the backs the back markers, which have been sort of very set. Uh, for the past few years now, I think that if we could return to you know the the early rich energy days of the uh, the P uh, was it P five and six in uh, in Australia before they managed to not put any of the wheels on correctly something like that. Uh, if we could go back to that kind of area, but obviously minus the uh, the pit failures, then I think that would be great. I think that he's got real potential to do well. That's why I think he's my overachiever for the year. Okay, Dylan. What about yourself? I think that Schumacher and Haas are going
4: to
0: be the surprise package. I think he's going to perform very well this year. OK, just just Mick Schumacher. I think it, we we're going very much firmly on Haas here, I think, which is quite good. Um, Joe, what about yourself? Uh, you, this was
2: framed as surprise package, not necessarily. Right, OK, so you guys have all said Haas, which now means that they are not a surprise package to me anymore. So I'm going to go a little bit left field. My surprise package is actually going to be Ferrari. And how okay. little how little tension there is going to be behind the scenes. Because in Ferrari in the past, we've always seen this clear hierarchy, first driver, second driver, and there was even friction between Charles Leclerc and the lovable genius that is Sebastian Vettel. I'm saying despite the fact that Charles Leclerc has an aggressive bent to his drive has an aggressive bent to his attitude, always moans on the radio, very competitive, and you've got Carlos Sainz, who is actually kind of similar despite having a higher race IQ, slightly at the expense of pace. I don't think there are going to be massive off the track issues with Ferrari this year. For the first time in a long time, I think Ferrari are going to be modest and similar enough to the rest of the field that they're going to be able to keep their drama to themselves or maybe there won't be any drama at all. And I think that is a large part of the reason why I have got very high hopes for the Scuderia this year. So, yes, the culture around Ferrari is my surprise package
0: of the year. Well, this is very optimistic stuff. Indeed, if I can get my words out there, this is very optimistic stuff indeed there. From Joe. Biggest disappointment now. Um, I'm going to say Aston Martin. And I know people were, uh, they were my biggest disappointment last year. I'm just going to have to say again, I do think that Aston Martin have just, just, have the potential to just be very underwhelming. I'm not hearing the encouraging noises out of testing that I want to hear. The car seems okay, but not great. It doesn't seem like it's going to be making that push that Aston Martin keep talking themselves up. They're going to be towards the front. They're going to be making that progress. I'm not seeing any of it. And I just fear there's a risk that with all this money, it's a team that's used to running on not a lot of money and making the most out of it. My fear is now it's got the money. It's just going to plateau. But I hope I'm proven wrong because I do like Aston Martin. It's a great car brand and it's a car brand that deserves success. But I just don't feel it's got everything behind it, at least this season,
1: to make that step forward. Rory, what about yourself? Your biggest disappointment? So my biggest disappointment is a name that we've not discussed too much today, but we did a little bit. My- I've actually gone for Valtteri Bottas. Uh, he's Okay. Obviously- not, not very much not what Joe was saying earlier. No, no. I, I think it's, you know, of course, it's all pinched salt. We can't really make too many predictions. This is who I've gone for, just based on my gut feeling, just because... The change from being in a Mercedes to being in an Alfa Romeo is, you know, quite possibly one of the biggest changes that we're going to see on the grid, especially look, sit, looking at how the Alfa Romeo is being performing. You know, the, it's not been doing too bad. It looks like it will be sort of again towards the between the back markers and, and the middle ground. But I don't have much confidence in this new age of Bottas, especially from what we've seen in Mercedes of him just having that sort of core aggression and being able to sort of make his way up the field. I think that he's it's going to be a very different situation for him to get used to. Obviously, he, you know, back in the Williams days, he's had experience from that area before. I think that he, it could really go either way. Uh, he's my pick for, for the biggest disappointment, but I just don't know if he'll be able to weather that change too well, purely based on how just that Mercedes and this Alfa Romeo are going to be such different beasts.
0: All right, Dylan, what about yourself? Your biggest disappointment this season?
4: I think it's going to be Williams. I really can't see them doing that well, I think they're just going to be left behind, maybe fighting with Aston Martin. I there just doesn't seem to be any good reason for hope there.
0: All right, Joe, are we going with Williams? You're going with Bottas? Well, I, I don't think you're going with Bottas. Um, Aston Martin, who is your biggest disappointment? I'm actually gonna echo, I'm surprised, I'm
2: echoing Dylan with Williams. Um, I heard a lot of people, a lot of us were predicting both on this podcast and elsewhere who was going to be like last in the constructors this year. I didn't hear a single person say Williams. For some reason, we all just assumed that this positive momentum of the last couple of years was going to continue despite losing George Russell, who's a fantastic development driver, despite a massive change in regulations that could you know, disrupt the team. That car does not look good. It does not look stable, it does not look fast, and it looks horrible under braking, and that's when the brakes aren't catching fire. Um, the the lot, I thought Alexander Album was a good pick as a development driver, but he is not George Russell. I think Williams are going to be a massive disappointment this year, in part due to the Mercedes power unit.
0: Well, Josh, are you echoing the pessimism about Williams, the just not liking about Valtteri Bottas or the anarchy around Aston Martin? Where are we going?
3: Um, Well, with Williams, I have low expectations, so I don't really know how you can disappoint with low expectations. (laughs) Um, Aston Martin, I don't have equally as high hopes for. and I actually think Bottas will do okay. I, I think it'll be one of those where you'll look back and not that the Mercedes experience was bad for him, but it'll be one of those where perception, popular perception went so far away from him. One of those sort of look how they massacred my boy situations. Um, It's weird. I don't really know. I, I, it, this is a weird one for me. And I've sort of, I'm going to be the ex-politics, history politics student I am. I'm going to frame this as Disappointment for me is, I guess, going maybe in the perception going a bit backwards, maybe not being as successful as last season. And for that reason, I've gone with Esteban Ocon, and I think I'm the first and only person who's going to mention his name on this podcast. Um, simply because, let's be honest, he had a, an outstat- he had a very good season. But I don't think there'll be a, I can, I can't really see a surprise race win for him. If anything, it'll be Alonso. I think the expectation was he was a pretty evenly he, he evenly contested that 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 Alpine sort of split between him and Alonso I don't think that's gonna happen this year I feel like Alonso with another year is gonna probably take a step forward compared in that sort of teammate battle and so I feel like compared to last year I feel like he'll regress a bit
0: okay so null of optimism there for Ocon but Again, it'll be interesting to see how these develop at the end of the season. Interestingly, though, we've been very much... Our surprise packages and disappointments have been very much at the sort of midfield, lower end of the grid. Apart from Joe touching Ferrari, really nothing towards the top of the grid there. So perhaps maybe that will change now with Mr. Saturday. Um, I'm not setting the trend um, on going towards the top of the grid with this because my Mr. Saturday this season is going to be Pierre Gasly. And we, we saw some impressive performances from him in qualifying last year. But for me, Gasly was the driver who always delivered on a Saturday. There were some fantastic performances. I think his performance in Zandvoort and in Qatar, those two really stick out for me for just how good they were and just really how they showed that consistency and that raw pace that he has got. Now, didn't always translate into a race result, but certainly always laid the foundation. That race in Zandvoort, I said. You know, that Racing Zanvoort last year was the best I'd ever seen Pierre Gasly in a Formula 1 car. And it was, for me, I think just a real demonstration of just how impressive a driver he is and how he sets that platform on the Saturday to go forward to get good results on a Sunday. Now, I don't necessarily think the Alpha Tauri is as fast a car as RC. I'd say it's about the same as it was in the pecking order. So I do feel like if it is that case then we should be seeing similar performances from Gasly. And if he is going to push, maybe to get a Red Bull seat in 2023, maybe to push for a seat higher up the grid, those Saturday performances are going to be crucial for me. Pierre Gasly has the potential to do that. Um, Dylan, who is your Mr. Saturday this season? I was going to go for Pierre
4: Gasly, but since you've already mentioned him, we'll add (laughs) a bit of spice, a bit of variety. Now I'm going to say Charles Leclerc.
0: Okay. How are we predicting low pole positions, front row starts? Well, what's the what's the criteria? Because obviously now Ferrari seem to have one of the front-running cars here. I think he'd need to be out-qualifying Verstappen, Hamilton,
4: Sainz. That's, that's the benchmark. They're at the front of the grid by the look of it. If not, then consistently top five. But I think it's doable for Leclerc. And I think he's going to put that Ferrari in places it shouldn't be in the pecking order in tracks that don't necessarily favour the Ferrari.
0: Okay, Joe, Mr. Saturday.
2: Both great picks so far, and I'm very glad that you mentioned... You've mentioned my two favourite drivers, <laughs> both of you, who haven't been <laughs> mentioned so far in the podcast, so thank you. Uh, what well, I'm going with Mr. Saturday, not necessarily someone that fades in the race, although with this guy, I think that's going to be the case because of the car he's in. I'm going for the driver who, in terms of time and head-to-head record, most eclipses his teammate in qualifying this year. And this is not a slight on his rookie teammate, but I think Valtteri Bottas is going to be my Mr. Saturday for the year. I still have a lot of faith in the one lap pace of that guy. Looks like he's really gelled with that Alfa Romeo. And I can see, you remember those surprise Q3 appearances from Giovanazzi last year, where yeah. he somehow got the ninth fastest car, sometimes 10th <laughs> into Q3, but then faded in the race because it was an Alfa Romeo. I think that's going to be the case with Bottas this year. But yeah, i um, smashing Joe in terms of qualifying record because... I think uh, Sonoda has to get better this year. There's no way that Sonoda can continue to be mm. so far off Gasly's pace. Joe coming in, like, it's a tough old sport. There's no shame in getting handily beaten by Valtteri Bottas.
0: And perhaps Bottas more and Joe Vernazzi could convert some of those qualifying performances into points finishes as well, which of course, at the lower end of the grid, that is crucial. Um, Josh, Mr. Saturday, who are we going for? Um,
3: Largely just because I think He's the one driver who can sort of break up that sort of top six monopoly we're sort of predicting between Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes. I've just gone with Lando Norris because I think he is that sort of person who can sort of carry his team maybe forward ahead of expectations in terms of qualifying pace. Um, and yeah, I mean, he you got you got Paul Rusher. Um, he's been on the front row. He was on the front row twice last year. I think, yeah, it's a it, it sounds like a boring pick but also it's a I don't know. It's, it's Lando Norris, I think, is going to be that person who's going to most likely, for me, break into that top six qualifying wise.
0: And I feel as well with that McLaren at the moment, no one really sure where that totally is. I think he'll be interesting. McLaren do sort out the breaking issues as well and maybe can mount more of a challenge. Lando Norris being central to that, especially seeing that Daniel Ricciardo, it doesn't seem, is over um, his issues from last year. Not that he's really had the time to show that yet. I think he'll be very interesting. Um, Rory, last up, we've had Gasly,
1: Bottas, Leclerc, Norris. Mr. Saturday, who are we going for here? Now it's taken me every fire of my being to not say George Russell here because you you all you all know that I want to you all know that I want to. I oh, know you very much want to, but I'm going to go with the a name a, a different name. We've got five different different choices here, and a name that I, I I'm surprised didn't come up before. I'm going to go with Max Verstappen. Um, I think he showed just incredibly incisive, uh, you know, pace on Saturdays last year. Uh, I think his record in qualifying was just simply unsurmountable in places. And I think that if the Red Bull is looking as good as it does in, in testing the shakedowns and in full practice, I think that we could have, you know, a very, a very good car on our hands behind the, the, in the hands of a very, very capable driver, Max Verstappen, a very good Saturday driver. He's my pick. Okay. One more reward to go now. We've had, of course, surprise package,
0: biggest disappointment, Mr. Saturday, driver of the season. Now this, to be clear, this isn't predicting the world champion just yet. This is the driver that is going to go above and beyond and put in the best performances relative to their car throughout the season. For me, that is Mick Schumacher. I think I'm optimistic about Haas and I want to carry some of that optimism forward. But Mick Schumacher is a driver who normally comes to his best in his second season in junior form. It'll be interesting to see whether he can do that this season. But there were glimmers at times last season. I think Schumacher getting into Q2 in France, for example, if you forget the fact he promptly crashed the car at the end of Q1, there were these glimpses from Mick Schumacher that he's got the potential to hack it in Formula 1. And I think having Kevin Magnussen in the team, I do think can really galvanise him. And I hope that Mick Schumacher really can put in these performances because I do think he's a good driver and he's a decent person as well, which I think given what we've seen in Haas in the last few years, I think really does go a long way somewhat. So, Yeah. Mick Schumacher, I think, has a real potential this season, and I'm backing him to deliver on that potential. For me, Mick Schumacher, driver of the season. Joe, who are we going with?
2: I'm torn between two, and they're two names that I've mentioned already, one that I just happen to love and one that I think is going to have a great season. I'm really torn between Pierre Gasly and Valtteri Bottas. Now, in terms of seeing oh, like above and beyond relative to their teams, I do emphasise the importance of their teammates, it's just Guan Yuzhou's first season in Formula 1, so there's no shame in getting beaten by someone as experienced as Bottas. It's kind of dependent on how much Sonoda improves, and considering the guy has literally already been investigated by the stewards <laughs> before the end of FP2, it's not gotten off to a great start. Um, first half of the season, Pierre Gasly. Second half of the season, Valtteri Bottas. I'm going to say Gasly because I want him to win something. And I keep saying this every year, but this is a really important year for Pierre Gasly in his career.
0: I think most important looking to the potential because really at the end of this season, if he's not got into a bigger team than Alpha Tauri, you really, you can't see him going further above. You feel that he's just going to stagnate in the midfield at that point. So really do need to see Gasly get that seat. This season is crucial. Josh driver of the season.
3: Oh, Gasly and Bottas were the first ones that came to mind, to be honest. Um, I will yeah I don't disagree with those. I will chuck in um, I think I still think Carlos Sainz, despite ha- having a very good first season well yeah first season of Ferrari geez, it's, been, it's like he's been there for a while. Um, I think he's got another step level to go and given how good on paper this Ferrari looks at the moment, I think I think he'll he'll have an, another really excellent season.
1: All right, Rory. What about yourself, driver of the season? So I'm going to go with someone uh, again. One of the more favoured picks, I imagine. I'm going to go with Ch- uh, Charles Leclerc. Um, I think he's he's very very ready. He he's shown so much brilliance, you know, uh, it, pockets of real brilliance and real sort of just just uh, unrivalled skill over the past couple of years. You know, with it, getting pole positions, getting wins occasionally. You know, obviously not last year, year before. I think he's in, in a spot now with that Ferrari. How good it's looking that he can really make that step up and join. You know, the, he, he's been talented for so long as as one of the next one of the elite. You know, everyone no one can question his talent, but I think he can really make that jump up and start. You know, collecting wins, collecting more poles, join the the ranks of Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. You know, as the established winners and you know forces on the grid. Uh, he's my choice for driver of the year, and I think he's going to do well, very well in that Ferrari.
0: Okay, and finally, Dylan, your driver of the season.
1: I'm going for Carlos
4: Sainz. I'm backing him this season. I think his development over the last couple of years has been extremely impressive. The sort of way that he comes into his own in a race, the consistency, it's, I don't know, bar bar none, I think. And if it ends up being a title battle that the Ferrari's involved in, he has experience going against Verstappen. He knows how Verstappen races and he was... Actually, extremely close to Verstappen when they were both in that Toro Rosso. So I'd say watch out for Carlos Sainz
0: this year. Well, this is a very eclectic mix, indeed, I think, on all of these awards. So again, when we get to November, we will be very interesting to see what happens. In the meantime, though, um, before we go on to predicting our top three in the championship, um, this is a time for us to throw out some miscellaneous predictions, a time for us to give out some weird and wonderful, wacky things that we think might happen this season i.e. Joe Spagnoli, I'm waiting for a perfect set of perfectly realistic and feasible predictions this season. Um, Joe, have you got them ready for us yet? Or should we consult the rest of the panel first? I have five. They're
4: they're
2: They're less zany than I thought they could be, but I've just got no idea going into this season. Number one, I used this prediction last year, and of course it went horribly wrong. Every team is going to score points in the Constructors' Championship.
0: I think uh, that's more feasible this year than last
2: year. Definitely. Well, if, if the Williams stops catching <laughs> fire, yes. Uh, number two, Aston Martin will score fewer points this year than they did last year. Number three, Max Verstappen will outscore Sergio Perez at a rate of at least two to one. Number four, we will have two new winners this year, specifically Carlos Sainz and George Russell. And the biggest one of all, Fernando Alonso is not going to retire at the end of this year. He is going to retire midway through the
0: season and vacate his seat for Oscar Piastri. Okay, I I can see all of them potentially happening, especially if L plan doesn't come to fruition. Yeah, I think I think there's there's a cu- one. I think I maybe disagree with you on which I'll come to in a bit. But um, guys, any other predictions from you? Anything else you're expecting this season? Rory, I
1: can see you're, you're worrying potentially. I'd love to, uh, g- given the events of full practice and the way they're conducting their operations this year, I'd love to predict at some point just both Alpines just completely disintegrate on the on the track at some point. Just <laughs> And, and fo- followed by, maybe uh, leading on from Joe, maybe followed by a, a post-race Fernando Alonso retirement. I know he's made it very clear that he's only staying in the sport so long as they can provide him a winning car and you know it seems like they're going all out i really hope it goes well for them and uh but i think that at some point (laughs) i mean looking at it doesn't bode well for them from what from what happened yesterday if we're taking that to the extreme
0: you know when both of buemi's front wheels sort of randomly disintegrated i think alpine will go further and all four will come off at the same time that's the level of achievement i fear we're going to need to be doing with alpine this season um Dylan, Josh, anything from yourself? Anything weird, wonderful, zany, wacky that we're looking forward to?
4: I reckon, this may be ambitious, but hey-ho. I reckon Bottas is going to get more than one podium this year. And I think that Haas will make more than one top five appearance.
0: Okay. I can see that. I can definitely see Bottas there, certainly. I think if he... I feel it's the kind of thing where you need like a... A strong qualifying performance and then maybe a track like Austria where it's not the easiest place to overtake. Or a wet race. And Bottas, Bottas, okay, hasn't been a great wet racer in the last couple of years. But say he's gets himself on the right strategy, finds himself off from almost like a Germany 2019. I'd say that's more than feasible. Josh, anything else from yourself?
3: Um, well, this, this one, that's tame. Um, Daniel Ricciardo's got a podium. Don't know how, don't know why, but he won. He did, he, did, he won a race last year, so stranger things have happened. Um, and Pierre Gasly to get onto the front row in qualifying at least twice. I'll say twice.
0: Okay, here's what I've got, and I want to. I'm I'm intrigued. So I'm I know you predicted um, George Russell to win a race, Joe. I'm going to say that both him and Sergio Perez will not win a race this season. I'm going to say Carlos Sainz will win a race, but it will be only one. Pierre Gasly will get onto the podium, I say, at least three times this year. Oscar Piastri is going to race at some point this season, and when he does, he will score points. And also, and and I feel when you have a big regulation change, you normally get a title decider. I don't think we're going to have a title decider this year. I think it will be sewn up before the final race. So I'm going to leave that there. Lock it away, lock and key until November, and I'll see how many I got right later in the year. In the meantime, though, um, it's time now to give off our predictions for the end of the season. Um, I want a top three and your Constructors champion from each of you. So, going in reverse order as I have my list here, let's start off with Joe. I've
2: been really flip-flopping on this, but... In third, the Drivers' Championship, Lewis Hamilton. Second, Charles Leclerc. First, Max Verstappen. However, Constructors' Champions, despite all the trash I throw at them, (laughs) it's going to be Ferrari.
0: Okay, so a good... I I think a pretty feasible start there from Joe. I think definitely, I think Ferrari certainly... It seems out of the driver lineups, have the two, perhaps it could be most out the front consistently. And that's what you need with the Constructors' Championship. I think it is, said, it's very difficult to call the drivers. Um, Dylan, Constructors and your top three in the drivers. I have to say
4: mine's quite similar to Joe's, which surprises me a little bit. But <laughs> in third, I reckon we're going to have Lewis Hamilton. In second, I've gone for Science instead of Leclerc. And in first, I've gone for Max Verstappen. Although, I think the Constructors champion this year will be Red Bull.
0: Okay, so a slightly different Ferrari driver there. I think predicting who out of sign's Declare, given how close they were last season, I think that is going to be very difficult indeed. Interesting though the Claire in your top three. So I think that'll be an interesting one. Maybe I don't know, last year he didn't always have the consistency in the races. Admittedly, that was because the car didn't always deliver for him. But there
1: we go. Rory, top three in the Drivers' Championship, Constructors. So my driver's choices, uh, and I thought these would be bespoke to me, but uh, apparently not. I've, I've gone as well third place Lewis Hamilton, second place Charles Leclerc, first place Max Verstappen. Um, and my constructors un- until just then was going to be Ferrari as well. But thinking about it, I think if, if, if I were saying that Charles Leclerc is going to have this sort of rise, then I think at some point they might have to start prioritizing him over science. at some point, I guess. They were picking up so many strong finishes last year from the fact that they were both being very, very strong, but neither especially challenging for the win. And at some point, maybe, if they, if either one of them wants to sort of maintain a, a strong title charge, that might have to change. So I'm going to go my my constructors. I'll, I'll give it to Red Bull as well. I think I'll give it to Red Bull. Okay, Josh.
3: I mean, I'm going to continue the trend here. I sort of agree with Dylan completely. I think mean, it's going to be Hamilton third. I mean, Carl Sainz in second. And maybe I should have... I mean, I've just literally thought of this. I think Leclerc's going to have more race wins than Sainz, but I think Sainz is going to outscore Leclerc in terms of the championship. I think Leclerc's going to have more DNFs than Sainz. Um, and Verstappen first. And then in terms of constructors, I've... I've gone Red Bull because I've now said that I think Leclerc's going to rack up a couple of DNFs and I think there'll be the difference between him and, say,
0: Perez for the second driver. Well, as a Lewis Hamilton fan, this following sentence is about to pay me very significantly. In third place, I've got Lewis Hamilton. I do think that Mercedes will get quicker, but not enough to get to the top two in the championship, who I think is going to be the main fight this season. I've got Charles Leclerc in second. Max Verstappen winning his second championship this season. I have also got Red Bull going for the Constructors Championships. I actually I actually think this could be a difficult year for Carlos Sainz. I think Verstappen I think will win the championship by about 20 to 30 points, somewhere within that region. I think Sainz and Perez, I think, aren't going to be that far separated. And I think it's partly again, I don't I see Sainz getting consistent results, but not the top dollar results say that I think the Leclerc is going to get, and Perez, I think, will be in a very similar position. I think Mercedes are going to be not really in the fight until the end, and Russell, I think, is going to be, Russell will be a secure sixth, I think, this season, nothing more than that. But yeah, for me, Red Bull to win the Constructors as well. So, all five of us putting Max Verstappen as our champion, all five of us, Putting a Ferrari driver in second place. All five of us putting Lewis Hamilton in third. All but one of us say Red Bull to be constructors champion. Joe, the only person going away from Red Bull to say Ferrari, which I feel in many ways pains you as much as it pained me to say that Lewis Hamilton was going to finish third this season. So I think a very interesting set of predictions there. Again, All under lock and key. We'll bring them out again in November. It's going to be very exciting indeed. In the meantime, though, we've got to move on to Bahrain now. That's coming next here on the Armchair F1 podcast. Well, it's certainly been a bumper preview ahead of the new season, but it's time now to get to the Bahrain Grand Prix, taking place the 18th to the 20th of March. Looking forward to lights out 3pm UK time on Sunday for the start of a brand new season. Well, we've been talking about the pecking order. We've been talking about who we think is going to come where, who's in the best position coming into this race. So I guess not much really to focus on that, but more so perhaps to look at obviously Bahrain, the track itself. Um, Joe, this is a very fun track to start the season off with. It's one I would prefer to come here more than Albert Park, really. Starting off under the lights is a track that encourages good overtaking. I'd also say as a litmus test for the new set of formula one cars in terms of the aims formula one is looking to achieve closer racing in particular i'd say this is a good track to start off with
2: um not so much in terms of the aerodynamic regs because Mm. to be honest dirty air and bar rain like what it's never been the biggest problem there because it's a well-designed track it's well ventilated sounds weird like it's often very windy um and also you've got three uh, three drs zones as well which is quite a novelty so really you're looking for if there's an improvement in wheel-to-wheel racing because yeah. the following like the, the drs trains you, you'll get more of them than you will sort of cars stuck one and a half to 1.8 seconds behind each other um so I don't think this is going to be... This isn't the kind of track that these
0: new regs have been designed to fit. Pa- Perhaps pa- pa- think Albert Park for that case, but certainly in terms of assessing the quality of the racing.
2: Yeah, I mean, assessing... Well, here's the thing. Like, if if you've halved the difference between the cars, you know, it doesn't make a difference if a team is 20 seconds behind versus 40 seconds. Yeah. However, you know, in terms of closing distances, like I, I, Charles Leclerc said during testing that there isn't a huge amount of difference following cars, like a second or so behind, which, by the way, worries me quite a lot. But when you get to like that half-second area, the closing time is a lot lower. And also, you can follow more easily around 1.82 seconds. Tyres don't seem to overheat as much. So if we can start to see evidence of that, that's a really, really good sign, especially at a track like Bahrain, where the racing has been good anyway. I mean, I'll come out and say I'm really, really sceptical about these new regulations. But if we get a good race weekend, that can only be a good thing. Um, and of course, you know in the past, I really
0: like Sakia. It's a very good track. It's one again, it's one of those early Tilka ones that, you know, the, it's designed for good racing. You've got these heavy braking zones. You've got a lot of opportunities. It's not too difficult to follow as well. And I think as well, um, something that I think I've always found perhaps with la- at the end of last year's race, when we look at the following things, because Verstappen gave the place back to Lewis Hamilton last year after we went off the track. And he was saying as soon as he did that, he's struggling with dirty air, struggling with the tyres, couldn't make another move on Lewis Hamilton. So maybe that might be a similar scenario like that with these cars. If that's something, perhaps it isn't the case this year. Maybe we can see that. Yeah, there's a tangible difference. It's there will it will be assessed more on other tracks, but certainly is a way to start the season off. Bahrain is always a popular race. Um, Dylan, of course, this is we've had some good Bahrain Grand Prix over the years. I think the one that everyone remembers going back, the jewel in the desert, back in 2014. But as a season opener. Um, Bahrain has opened the season, I can count, three times, 2006, 2010, um, and 2021 last year. Um, Certainly, it's a track that can afford to obviously start the season. It's a track that has a good reputation in terms of hosting races as well. Um, We're expecting a good show this weekend, definitely. Yeah, I think it's just going
4: to be really interesting. I think tyre strategy is going to be really important be- just because of the significant difference between the compounds this weekend. I have to say that when Joe started talking about race um, wheel-to-wheel racing, I was just having flashbacks to Esteban Gutiérrez getting absolutely yeeted by Maldonado at the end of the start-finish <laughs> straight. I don't know why that popped into my head, but I think we will have a good race this weekend. But it's hard to know where things are going to play out. But I do think, uh, strategy is going to be a really significant part of who, who sees the checkered flag first.
0: Indeed. That strategy, of course, is going to be important. And of course we saw last year, um, Josh, that, um, Verstappen and Hamilton had slightly different tire lengths on their strategies, but, um, Lewis Hamilton, particularly running a shorter middle stint and a far longer final stint. And of course, Verstappen closing up to him by the end of that race. Um, of course you've got these new 18 inch wheels now this season. Um, do you think that tire wear and particularly these different strategies are going to be as important, if not more important, this year?
3: Yeah. So um, I think with tire wear, we obviously alluded to it earlier how the midfield is going to be so closely contested in terms of pace, and so I feel like tire, tire wear and certainly in effect pit strategy is going to be massively important in terms of deciding how how this race goes down um, and who can sort of keep those tires cool at uh, you know to optimum temperature because obviously we know bahrain weather wise is is one in more of the extreme climate so um yeah no i do i agree with you that it's going to be massively important if i think i think that's what your question was
0: yeah and i think it's important obviously with these tire strategies as well just the impact of mixed strategies is always something that can be as you said important going forward of course rory as well the start of the season is always a time where you can get a bit of a surprise package coming through as well where unreliability may be an issue as well drivers starting to make their claim. Um do you think we're going to see a bit of that this weekend because of course we've seen that some of these cars are readily combustible throughout testing and indeed throughout free practice as well. So do you
1: think that reliability is going to play a really important role this weekend? I think it's going to be one of the most important considerations to have during the weekend to be honest. I think that at the start of at the start of any year I think the first race of the season is often one where where some teams are found out for their reliability. Maybe, you know, the cars haven't been under the sort of stress of a proper race situation in their current form yet. I think that's even more important when we come to a regulation change like we've had this year. And so I think that, you know, reliability can really make some teams be a cut above the rest. of I mean, we saw that last year with Ferrari. Towards the end of the year, their rise was, pure, was you know, in part due to the fact that both cars were finishing quite highly in a lot of situations they were keeping both cars on track and that was sort of boding very well for them i think that we might see a few teams get found out tomorrow i think the teams that aren't reliable and under the new regulations are going to be in trouble and i think that you know it's going to be very interesting to see sort of that that real pecking order be established and reliability will have a big point in that well it's
0: time to go make those predictions now i am looking for your top three in the race this weekend, Who do we think is going to do that? And also, as well, who do we think is going to grab pole position on Saturday? So, I will go first. I'm going to say that uh, Max Verstappen is going to get pole position, I believe. And then come Sunday, I'm going to say Carlos Sainz to finish in third, Charles de Clare in second, And Max Verstappen to convert pole into victory. Josh, your predictions?
3: Um, I'm going out on a massive limb to say Max Verstappen will be on pole on Saturday. Big decision, I know. Um, (laughs) And then following from that, I think he'll go on to win it. Um, And then this is tough. Um, I'm going to say Sergio Perez finishes third. And I'm, try- I'm in two minds as to which Ferrari driver is going to be second. I'll
0: say... Yeah, I'll go with Leclerc. So I'll say Verstappen, Leclerc, Perez. Okay, so certainly a more optimistic prediction for Perez. Actually, the first time anyone's really mentioned Perez at any time today. So maybe a bit more
1: optimism from Josh there. Rory, who are we going with? So I was going to do the exact same as you did, Cam, but I would really hate to agree with you. And if- <laughs> To be honest, even if you were to get it right, then the fact that you got it right would dwarf the, my feeling of accomplishment I get from getting it right as well. So I'm going to go out on a limb as well. Uh, I'm going to say pole position, Charles Leclerc. The race classification will be P1, Charles Leclerc, converting poles to wins. Uh, I'm going to go... I'm going to say P, P2, Verstappen. P3, why not? Uh, you know, I, I've resisted the whole show from making my home a choice. P3, George Russell. <laughs> wow, that that's... Considering the Mercedes
0: so far, I think that's even me as a Lewis Hamilton fan has resisted temptation. So I am,
1: I am. you a brave man, Rory. I mean, it's you know, I'm putting all my faith in the Mercedes political machine being you know fooling us all into thinking that Mercedes <laughs> is some kind of backmarker. I think maybe we'll have a uh, the, the resurgence of Toto Wolf, the the broken Toto Wolf. Now he's lost his uh, his driver's <laughs> champion, and uh, I think uh, I mean. I mean, who knows? That's the thing. Who knows? It could be anything. You could tell me that Valtteri both would win and I'd Arj- in some way wouldn't be able to count it out.
0: Who we'll knows? It happens. may
1: be a brawn one too, knowing <laughs> the rate of these new regulations. Um, Dylan, what about yourself? Who are we going with?
4: I think it's
0: a tricky one.
4: I don't want to say it's going to be a clean
0: sweep for Verstappen. I think
4: I'm going to back Rory with a Charles Leclerc pole, But I don't think he'll be able to convert it. I'll go for a Verstappen win, followed by... Ooh, who am
0: I going to go for? Signs then, Perez. So no Leclerc on the podium? No. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Joe, round us off with your predictions.
2: You really know what you're doing leaving me till last because (laughs) I'm just going to contravene everything that you and indeed I have said throughout this podcast. I'm predicting chaos here in Bahrain. Okay. Charles Leclerc to take pole from Max Verstappen by less than five hundredths of a second. It's going to be that close. That will be tight. But my podium classification, Charles Leclerc takes home the win for Ferrari, leading home a a 2-3 finish of George Russell and Lewis Hamilton against all the odds. Mercedes, either through strategy or just pure attrition, take home a double podium with the third fastest car. And George Russell ahead of Lewis Hamilton as well. So that's quite the prediction. I know. Emphasis on ballsy. And here's the thing. (laughs) If I get it wrong, people know I'm you know, just merely throwing something into a fire. If I get it right, God, I look like a genius.
0: Well, maybe this time next week, we will be seeing if Joe is that genius indeed. Well, it's been great to have the Armchair F1 podcast back for the 2022 F1 season, a bumper episode to get us going. We'll be back next week. We'll be taking a look at the Bahrain Grand Prix, looking ahead to Saudi Arabia. In the meantime, though, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Dylan, to Josh, to Rory, to Joe, for coming on as ever and thank you again for tuning in share like of course like follow and share the podcast at armchair f1 pods across social media we'll be back every week with a new episode loads to discuss about f1 this season i can't wait to have you along with the ride until then thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week